Hey everyone, welcome to another amazing episode of The Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Thorpe, joined by Andrew Harlick, and this is going to be episode 123 with Emmy Award-winning artist Raul Marx, who joins us this week to discuss the struggles and benefits of working remotely from Australia, the confusing task of determining what his title is, and a ton of information about his often one-man process to create incredibly detailed and provocative art. Today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is an awesome service that allows you to create an amazing web presence via their custom website builder. What once took way too much time and frustration is now eliminated so you can just focus on making great work and Squarespace does the rest. We actually used it to create the podcast website and it's been an awesome experience. So start building your website today at squarespace.com, enter offer code TCP at checkout and get 10% off. Also check out the art education platform that I'm building with Andrew, Anthony Jones, and Mitche Kutrata called Learn Squared. We will be showing you all what we have learned over the years and building one another up by exchanging ideas and concepts via our co-teacher apprentice system. Enrollment is now open for our first courses, so check it out at learnsquared.com for more information and experience the power of two. Here we go, everybody. We have received so many requests for this episode to happen, so here we are, episode 123 with the mighty Raul Marks. I think you were one of those creatives for me personally, um, and I'm sure I share with a lot of people, is when I see your work, I, I instantly get really inspired to go and create, and that's a very um, unique experience. There's only so many people that do that for me, where I, it's it's like I have an urge, like a, like I'm really hungry to create. It's in a very positive way. Um, it's just like seeing what you're doing, what you're creating, um, what you and Patrick are making, what you and the Elastic team are creating. So. Um, so for me, it was really exciting and it was really rad. I think you had emailed, um, Danny, Jan and I, or just myself, I can't remember who it was, but I was mentioning you to Danny and we were talking about like, you know, the next age Mm. of people that are going out and, and making these big things by themselves. And we're talking about your semi-permanent piece. There's a, there's such a, um, you have such an array of, of really, um, home, home run projects. It's going to be a lot of fun to kind of decipher and get a little bit more information as to what you've done, um, and how you've gotten there. But I suppose what we should probably do is maybe just get a little bit of a backstory and then we can probably jump into, to, um, you know, just the projects individually and decipher all these little bits and pieces. And first and foremost too, for those of you listening that we've been trying to do this for a while, you're a very busy person and it's been kind of a tough challenge to get you on because I know you're very busy and you don't necessarily like to do these things. So I personally really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Not at all. Not at all. I don't quite know how to respond to that monologue, but um, I'll take take it as a comment. Um, No. uh, Yeah. When I heard you guys, Talking, uh, you and Danny Ewan, that was just a quite a surreal moment for me um, because I, obviously Danny had been around for a long time. I didn't realize I was looking at his work from a very young age with um, Six Foot Under, but I mean, he's just created a lot of amazing work, you know, and, and one of the reasons I'm in this industry. And you, Ash, have been, you know, obviously a huge inspiration. Um, I mean, I've actually only been doing this for a few years, but I mean, it was because of work like you is why I swapped over into motion design. So it's a quite a weird thing hearing you guys sort of speak nicely about me. That's so cool, <laughs> I, man. It blew my mind. That's yeah, so and cool. I'm quite, uh, you know, I sort of followed the industry a little bit um, online, but I'm quite isolated out here in Australia. So it's, uh, you don't really, 
not really aware that people are kind of consuming the things that you make so much. You know, really see it literally happening so much. That's so awesome, though. And it's interesting to know and hear that you're saying you're pretty, you're still pretty green in this industry, which is probably really amazing because um, you're dominating. So, which is really great, you know, and in, in the best of ways. Um, there, it's pretty rare, I think, for people. I think the Emmys is is a very new category, right? This is like I think Eric Anderson, right? Andrew didn't isn't this like the first year they were doing that? Uh, I think that was second year. That, no, no, they've no, been no. doing title design for a while, but the, I think they recently introduced the uh, motion design. Uh, yeah, motion design. So like a segment inside of a show or something. Oh, okay, very cool. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah that's a new category, which is great that they're, they're acknowledging stuff because yeah. that's sort of areas that we work in as well. It's not just title design. But I, I'm, I don't know how long the title design category has been around for, but quite a while. And I think you know, it gets introduced bit by bit, and then it becomes sort of a, you know a main award. Um, the motion design category this year, I think it was, uh, there wasn't like a, a list of nominations or something. It was just one winner that they announced. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we met them actually at the, um, the Emmy party stuff and they were these lovely English guys that had come over and were, you know, reminded me of exactly where I was a year ago, slightly like losing my mind in this glitzy <laughs> sort of LA world. I'm like, what the hell is this? Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, that, that winning the Emmy was pretty that's a pretty strange experience, particularly I think that, well, that was the first title sequence I'd ever worked on and it was just an <laughs> absolute dream come true and quite hard to comprehend that that was actually happening when we worked on it. Um, but then, yeah, and it was, I mean, it was just, we were so lucky on so many reasons that it turned out to be a big TV series, a big show, the actors that were involved with it, um, the director that worked on it, um, and like the fact that we had a great song to work with and it was on HBO and it blew up, like that really yeah, it's home was just run. amazing for us. We, I mean, we saw us a new HBO series, it would probably be big. Oh, look at the actors. Oh, you know. But um, I just, yeah, I can't express how lucky we were to get that. Yeah, it was a definitely a home run. I mean, if the show was horrible, then it would be really detrimental to the efforts that you guys made, no matter how amazing it would be. So it was like a, definitely, I remember... Um, I think I'd watched the first episode somehow. I can't remember if I had seen the titles prior or seen a piece or something, but I remember sitting there going like, what the hell? And then watching the show and, and being really intrigued and being really blown away and really excited. And as the season progressed, it just got better and better. And mm. I, um, it was like a Pavlov's uh, law, I guess, you know, the dogs that salivate, you know, every time I'd see the title sequence, I would get excited about the show <laughs> and I'd wonder what's going to happen to Woody. And, and, uh, and it was just, it was, a, it was a, like, as you said, it's, it's, um, I think it's pretty amazing. You know, um, the timing's amazing. Um, everything, it was lined up, the stars were aligned and, and there you yeah, go. That's what it was. These are, um, kind of rare moments, you know, I think, um, it's cool to recognize and identify them. It's really amazing to hear that this is one of your, this was your first title sequence that you've worked on with Patrick. Yeah, yeah, it was, I think maybe second or third, maybe no third or fourth job that we'd worked on together. But I mean, this is because Pat was just doing amazing things and had quite rightfully was getting noticed internationally. Um, and the great people, Elastic, uh, I think, had picked him up after uh, we did we worked on the division. It was a, a game trailer thing, and um, Andy Hall and um, Jennifer Sophia Hall, who work at Elastic, sort of noticed his work, and they're like, "We got to get you over here." And I think he was a little reluctant at first, 
I think he'd had representation before and that hadn't worked so well, but maybe he was a little reluctant. And they were like, well, would you like to pitch on a HBO series? <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, it was like, uh, yes, yes, we would like to do that. <laughs> yeah, man. That was a smart move. I think Elastic is um, such a such a dominant um, in, in, in the small little industry in which we, we live in. I think Elastic is really um, setting the way as far as where things are going. Um, there's always a, um, a house or a group of people or a company that are the trendsetters. And I think, um, elastic is very much up there as far as a dominating force. It's really cool to see them progress too, as a company. Um, and companies are all, de- they're all decided and designed around the people in which they employ or have teamed up with them. And it's a really smart move, I think for what they've created, which is, um, it's really cool. It's cool to see, and it's cool to see that the work that's coming out of the out of the studio with you guys connected to it as well, which is really interesting. Because you're here in the states now, right? No, no, no. I'm I'm still working remotely. Um, oh, you really are. Okay. I'm, I'm yes. really dragging my heels on this one. The, the interesting. Inevitable decision will be to move out there, um, which has sort of come up and down a few times. But uh, I'm just. I'm actually spending some time here for my wife's career, as that's why we're here for a few more years. Oh, well, very cool. So not a few more years, but, you know, for, the, for a year, perhaps, um, to 2016. Uh, you're not missing then, much, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, yeah, you're doing the same thing, I guess. You're not, you yeah. know, right in the heart of LA, are you? Yeah, that's correct. I don't think you need to be necessarily. It just depends on what you create. And if for somebody at your level and your skill set, I think it's actually... Um, I think you're in the perfect spot. I think you should be where you are or isolated or away from the hub. Personally, um, people might protest against what I'm saying here, but we'll get into it further as far as my theory and analogy of what, you know, being oversaturated or being in the quote unquote hub, um, it doesn't necessarily yield, um, amazing things. It just depends on what you're trying to do. But for somebody like yourself who like, we will talk about semi-permanent or you Mm. create that thing through and through, it's pretty damn impressive. And, um, you don't really necessarily need to be so close to so many people, I think, and, and build great work still. So I look, yeah, I mean, I think on that topic, there's a, there's many pluses and many minuses. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, you end up thinking more broadly about what you're doing with your life, yes. <laughs> all those larger kind of questions and, and trying to figure that stuff out. But, uh, yeah, no, I can tell you all the good things and all the bad things that, that have come from that. But at the moment it's, uh, it's working. Yeah, I think it's it's just a it's a choice, you know, and I think that's cool. It's cool to hear that you know you're working with your wife and you're trying to you know like to support whatever she's doing. What does your wife do? Um, she works at it's called the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. She's a curator, or she's about to become a curator in, in her role there, and that was like a big opportunity for her um, cool. to move into that area. And so it's sort of hard because we're both sort of. I hate to describe it as careerists, but I guess both of us are quite like passionate about what we do and and both of that requires us to be in certain places. Like for her, her work is um like hen's teeth. You know, she needs to be in a city that has a a gallery that's doing kind of the type of art that she's interested in and, and to find a curation work is quite hard because there's usually not much money in the arts. Um and so something came up in Melbourne, so that was a great opportunity. But it's it's hard for us to balance that you know her work versus my work 
it hasn't been easy. Yeah, I can imagine. It's always, um, I, I always equate like soul, like being very creative is a very selfish thing. Um, mm. It took my wife and I quite a few years um, to get our, our momentum and our understanding between the two of us, because what I do is very selfish in a sense where I will just work all night by myself or in seclusion. Um, I'm very isolated and I will, you know, like not sleep because of the, the decisions I make, you know, and so it can mm. be really tough, um, really trying. And it's, uh, you know, myself and I have many conversations with other creative friends and people that do this kind of this line of work. Um, we always find it very difficult in order to kind of make these uh, align our marriages so that things work out well, you know. So, yeah, it's always a like a, you know, a battle, but a good one, you know, so. Yeah, I sort of had to make a bit of a conscious, even though like I'd come out here to Melbourne to, you know, for her to do her career, I was still sort of not aligned that well with the way I was working and so on. So I sort of needed to um, just recently kind of make a decision about how I was working and how I was time managing and that stuff so that we were actually enjoying each other's company and being around at the same time. Like I used to be quite a night owl. We used to live in uh, Edinburgh and London together for a few years and I wasn't quite into making music at the time and I would just, you know, get to bed at 4am, 3am, that kind of thing. Hmm. Um, and then never see her in the morning. It was a little bit like that here for the first year in Melbourne, but now I sort of tried to actually not stay up really late. Just, I don't know what I was doing at night, but actually kind of followed more normal hours. And that's been, that's been great um, in terms of us getting to spend quality time together and uh, making that relationship work. But it is very hard for me to kind of balance that with design time and, you know, just being able to go on forever working on something. Like I think semi-permanent, I was probably spending a little much, too much time at the studio. Yeah, I would imagine because semi-permanent was such a such a massive amount of work for one person to really be kicking out, you know. Um, yeah, that's cool. Is it? Do you think that by having somebody so close to you, so intrigued by art in a different form, like a more analytical or observant, is that does that help your process? Yeah, I think she's great. Um, I think she's a huge influence on what I do. I mean, she's super cynical. <laughs> like, it's very hard to impress. Yeah, that's um, good. Yeah. So, you know, she's, she's definitely, she dampens down my ego. Is this a, the main factor? It's very useful for me. But also, no, I mean, uh, we, I guess, see a lot of art with her. And I find, you know, I have a pretty basic understanding of art, but I, I, I enjoy the sort of thought parts of art, the uh, analysis and, and the, the, the way something that is aesthetic can be quite awful um, and still kind of have s some validity and you can kind of get interested in that um, and you can actually start to quite like things that seemingly look quite ugly. Um, so, you know, I think it's quite an interesting, it's more kind of intellectually aggressive and I guess I find that part of it interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it's a whole different way of looking at things, I suppose. It's all digestion and, and a lot of it's objection, you know, unless somebody starts to adhere their own principles um, of what they think is right and what's wrong. It, sometimes it's kind of interesting because people, I feel, are just latching on to their own realities, which is just opinions. So it it's, gets really tricky and interesting as far as what people, what you should like and what you shouldn't and how to analyze things and, you know, becoming cynical and why and when to and stuff. It's always a interesting battle. I find you, yeah, you always want like a universal point. Like, yes. you know, when you look at work and say the design world, you kind of go, I can look at this. I can absolutely hundred percent tell you this is bad. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but it, <laughs> 
and you kind of wish you could view the whole world like that, but you kind of know, well, maybe it is still subjective. I don't know. Like something seems very clear, but then it's, it's clearly not as well. But um, she, she's super, um, you know, like there's a lot of art that we go see that is quite um, painful. And like there's a lot of Emperor's New Clothes sort of gets mentioned every second or third show we go to. Like it's quite, <laughs> it's generally the vibe. <laughs> but you do get those occasional beautiful things that just really inspire you and you want to go home and make something completely new and different. And that's like, it's worth it for those rare gems. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's always been a, something for me as far as going to see museums. I have friends that go and travel around and that's one thing that they always do when they go to cities. Oddly enough, it's, I never do that and probably should, but, um, you know, I only do what I want to do when I feel like I want to do that thing, you know? So if I don't feel like I want to go look at art and rather go look at something else or eat a hot dog or whatever, you know, I'll go, I'll go do those things. But, um, well, that's, that's what I would do. I mean, I'm just <laughs> incredibly, well, not lazy, but you know, self-interested and I just generally wouldn't go to the galleries, but it's merely for the fact that I have a wife that works in that area that I get dragged along. Yeah. But sure. I, I think in the long run, it's better, better for me. Yeah, sure. And I think that probably um, makes a lot of sense though, because, you know, she is so involved with it. But I was just curious because if she's doing it at a very high level, then I'm just wondering what that, what kind of effect that has on you um, as a creator and, you know, kind of a different style of creator though, and creating this kind of, I guess, entertainment art, right? I mean, it's, it's much more beyond that. It's high, very high level, but what would you consider it and what you do? Uh, I don't know. I asked myself that question. <laughs> what do you think I he does, quite, Andrew? I quite like a fraud. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I guess I, I don't even, I, I do almost the same thing and I don't know, like nobody knows. That's like the beauty of this industry. I think is that like, we're all still kind of figuring out like what this is. Well, if anyone bizarre. other than us knew what motion design meant, then that would be fine. We just always use that. But I generally very rarely have people, when I say motion design, have any idea what the hell I'm talking yeah. about. I think you're beyond motion design for many of the things you create personally. You're big. I think you're a different type of content creator though. I guess it depends on the project in which you're creating. But yeah, some things I guess you could, I suppose you could say it's motion graphics, but. Yeah. I mean, you were officially credited in the Emmys thing as animator, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's why. You, you say animator is someone, and they uh, yeah, people think of Disney. You draw or little yeah, little characters running around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a whole different market and a different pathway these days as well. Um, but like, we're gonna probably throughout this whole conversation sprinkle in the semi permanent. But if I use that as an example or a reference, hmm. I don't know if I would call you necessarily a motion designer here. I would say you're a visionary or a creative. That's kind of the title I would give you. <laughs> Okay, so I'll go with that at parties from now on. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to visionary. say, really. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like a visionary creative or a director, you know? I don't know. Right, Andrew? I mean, I'm yeah, trying, I mean, I'm I trying to draw here. I mean, it depends per project, too, though. Like, I mean, yes. for semi-permanent, you could definitely just say director or creator. Director, though. yeah, you created every, like, I don't know. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It is a really hard, like, t- title to decipher. Yeah. But there's yeah, something... Look- I guess there was a bit of a little bit of narrative and, you know, I guess that's those short things part of the back of your head. You're thinking you're trying to talk about something maybe larger, but um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, like making that made me start to think about, Oh, maybe I could do some narrative things a little bit, but 
I mean, that whole thing was quite allegorical and not, not really a very clear narrative, but it made me think that, oh, maybe making a film would be a lovely thing to do, yeah. which isn't something I never considered before, but just certain parts of putting that together made me more and more interested in, in that side of things, like storytelling a little, a little more clearly. Um, and I think also just being around around Patrick, who's, you know, he's got lots of ideas for films and that's his, you know, I think he, he'll be making big, huge films in a, in a few years, um, you know, opens up like, oh, that's an actual possibility for motion designers or people working in advertising is that there is a path that way, uh, which, is, which is interesting. I don't think I'd necessarily want to make a feature film or anything like that, um, but it's starting me to think about, oh, there's other kind of things you can use this these forms for it's not you know purely for advertising or titles there's other areas yeah absolutely i think that's that's a natural progression i think especially like you know when i talk with patrick or you're mentioning patrick is jumping into that next section i mean uh, there's so many directors who have passed or gone through that that route even like ridley scott for example somebody that we both admire i know we both really yeah. love his work and he was a commercial designer and he's also so was, um, and jonathan glazer as well i was just so many yeah. about the other day. yeah it's quite a quite a well-trodden path Joe Krasinski. I didn't quite realize until I started looking into it, yeah. Rupert Saunders. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's so many people that have, you know, cut their teeth on building themselves up as either illustrators or designers or commercial directors and then building up, you know, their stamina or understanding to these bigger, massive projects. Do you Um, think it's partly their, like, their frustration with, like, the advertising world? Is that, like, their need to escape from it is is why they actually end up being quite successful? Oh, yeah, of course. You know, I think you can only sell a box of cereal so many times before you want to go punch something, you know? (laughs) So there's only so much stamina somebody has. I I really, I think that's one of the hardest jobs to do is do something that you're not passionate about or if you are passionate about but doing it repetitively um, Mm. can sometimes be very trying. I personally, and I think I can see it in your work too. I think you enjoy the chase creatively. Am I right? The doing, chase? Doing different things, trying different things, new things. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, well, I guess I'm not chasing necessarily in the sense of that I've you know, been working pretty exclusively with Elastic um, for you know, the last few years. And so I sort of work on stuff that comes up with Pat. Um, but. I do find that to maintain, like I, I'm not very good at something if I'm not interested in it. Basically, I need to, like I need to be stimulated by the work I'm working on for me to really get engaged with it. Um, so I do find, yeah, there has to be something exciting. And luckily, every sort of job that seems to be coming through is is really exciting work, and that keeps me interested in it. But um, yeah, it's quite easy to, to to lose that fascination. That's an important thing not to lose, huh? And I guess. Um, what I want to, I guess it's going to lead into the next thing is designing your experiences around, um, kind of the choices you're making. So right now, so you're saying part of your ingredients is this, it's the same exact thing for me too. I, I have a hard time where I cannot work on something that I'm not passionate, passionate about. It's very mm. challenging. It, um, it's, it's like a weakness of my own, I guess, but, um, but I design my own existence in my career around um, those things where I can kind of focus on the things that I'm passionate about. Do you think that this has been um, something that is a design, an acknowledged design um, that you've created? Or do you think that this is kind of like you've always had this intention through your career and now you're here and, and where is this going? 
<laughs> quite differently, I think. I, I've always been amazed about how proactive you are, um, how um, you, know, you seem to have a million fingers and a million pies, always doing a million things. It's incredibly intimidating. Hmm. Uh, I, um, laziness is, is a you know, big part of my approach. <laughs> really? You're lazy, <laughs> floating, huh? Floating. Well, in some ways, yeah, I'm not, I'm not super proactive, I guess. And, you know, so there are points of boredom and so on, but I, I guess uh, that builds up and then I have a moment where I really like to work on something and get heavily into it um, and sort of, you know, like when I really love something, I can really spend the time on it. But I, you know, I mean, I guess I quite like the current situation. I mean, I mean, I could, I could leave that situation and go do other things, but I, I quite like the work that we're working on and I quite like the connection I have with Pat and that's sort of, I'm quite happy to sit in that world for quite a while. Whereas, you know, I guess you could take the other route and kind of move on from that and try and do a whole bunch of other different things, but this is working for me. So I'm happy to go with it. Sure. But, when it, if you're enjoying yourself and you're, you're working with people that inspire you and keep you stimulated, why would you want to change that? You know, because mm. that's really, that's a very important thing. You know, I think that's, that's what I'm doing. That's all I do. I just try to surround myself with people that I admire and, and really enjoy working with and building things with. I think that's, that's the goal really. Um, just continually repeating that good experience with new challenges, you know? Yeah. yeah it sounds like you, you, you don't get bored of the challenge. Like you, you don't, um, yeah, you can't, you don't, um, you don't want like, oh, this one's going to be an easy one. We want an easy one where I don't have to stay up to 3am. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, maybe That's later. Like, yeah, but not. But how, how long? I mean, you know, I uh, listened to a number of, of your interviews, and I'm actually there's a lot of things I haven't really picked up about the way you work and how, how you know your history as well. You're something like we talked to, but you're quite a fascinating topic yourself. I was sort of curious how you've set yourself up now and how that works. Uh, do you mean like as a business entity or just as a creative or? Well, I. You've, you're your own company and you freelance for a, bu- a bunch of different people. Is that sort of the, the general setup? And you, and you started a prologue. Is that the yeah know, yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah? I got my I got my start at prologue under working under some of the most amazing people. Just a crazy talent. Um, back in prologue was working on I think like Iron Man was just wrapping up when I was there. So I was just around this this amazing hive of creative. Um, just brilliance really and it blew me away and it really showed me what i was supposed to be doing (laughs) and Mm, the level mm. that i needed to achieve in order to do so um oftentimes sometimes i feel like as a creative you can sometimes get lost in the dark as far as what is what you need to do and um for me i get really inspired when i see somebody do something amazing i get so inspired because i want to play in that same world and so yeah prologue really showed me what this is, how to do it right, and how I to do it. A, yeah, a more clearer place to sort of forge yeah, a work ethic. <laughs> a, um, oh yeah, yeah. You know, a design aesthetic because they were, you know, they were. I guess they still are, you know, leaders, but they were, um, you know, at that particular point, like doing amazing stuff. Um, and then, so you've just moved on, and now you 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 just freelance remotely, and you're sort of a similar setup to me in that way, but yeah, that's correct. Things. Yeah, that's correct. My wife is now helping me. So she's the producer with me and, um, we just work really tight in tandem and, um, yeah, I just work from home. We have a really amazing house and we have our daughter and our dog and we have a pool. And so, um, I work 
way too much. I have too many things going on. I have a video game. I'm working on a couple of feature films and a video game. And we, Andrew and I and Mache and Anthony Jones, we just released our, our school called Learn Squared. And that's just a yeah, that, that was interesting. Yeah. Huge yeah. amount of work. <laughs> it's still, we're still building it and it's still just, a lot of work. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, it's an uh, ungodly amount of work, <laughs> like uh, building a platform and an educational platform at that is just and something that, you know, is very dear and we want to, we don't want to just be making content. We want to change and disrupt everything. And we want to make something like ridiculously great. So you know, doing making yeah, public- you don't do things in halves, Ash. I get that sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. And then on top of all that, um, we're in pre-production for Lost Boy, and that's just it's like um, it's it reminds me of when I was a kid and I had a whole box of Legos, and I'm just sitting there by myself, and I'm just playing, and I'm having a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so. It's hard. It's amazing you're spread out over so many different pieces. Like like for me personally, I find if I have two jobs on at one time, I just scrambles my brain. Like I need to kind of get completely lost in in one job. And luckily, uh, I'm allowed to do that to a certain degree. That's great. I mean, I'll occasionally go across a few things, one or two, but um, I guess because I'm like quite heavily involved in the production, the making of something, I'm very hands-on. Yeah, it's true. You know, it's not as as directorial, I guess. Um, I, I find it, yeah, quite hard to up and swap onto another job. But that's been a hard process for me, I guess, is that moving from, like, I'm quite happy to sort of direct something that I'm making, but uh, the general, I guess, direction that you go from being a, someone that's hands-on making things is you become more managerial, you end up sort of having a team and you delegate work to a team and you have Do you like a number that part? of jobs. Do you like that well, part? Well, I haven't done it a great deal, but I, I I'm still have a... I'm sort of aware that's the general progression, but I'm still kind of reluctant to let go of the tools, I guess. It's good, and you shouldn't. I think it's... You think you have a lot of power right now. I think it's really smart for you to hold on to those tools and understand those things. And you've showed the world that with semi-permanent. I think it's really important um, not to let those things go. I think one concern that I have, and I think I see in other, in other directors, is they become um, this kind of like you said, a managerial kind of where you're in, in, in control of a group of people, but then you kind of lack that power that you once had as a, as a sole creator. Um, and then all you're doing is on calls and emails. And that's what my life seems to be now. It's just like calls and fucking emails and fucking calls and fucking emails. Everything yeah, well, I just moves. don't know how you, you still make stuff. <laughs> like, yeah. That's what well, just, like, yeah. Like you're, you're saying you're working, you're going to have to do work after this call. I mean, that's yeah. you know, crazy, but <laughs> yeah. you're making it work, you know, and you've got the, uh, you've got the ethic to do that. That's, that's amazing. Have a crazy system. So the system seems to work. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, am getting, I'm getting a lot of flack from my business partners for learn squared as far as like me saying yes to too many things before all this. So I'm saying no a lot more, which is helping. So, um, but I think I personally love and thrive off of having three or four really crazy things going on at once. Mm. Um, I have a short attention span, so I will go and get really fascinated with one thing and I'll go really hard and I'll burn out and I'll jump to the next thing. So I'll, I'll work on the school thing and then I'll burn out and jump onto my video game thing and I'll jump out and go to the lost boy thing and I'll go to the, the film that I'm working on and then I'll go to the video game thing and another thing and you know, mm. all over and then cycle through. So it's just a matter of what's keeping me entertained or educated or just excited or motivated. And you know, so um, I imagine you can't say much about the game thing. 
my own game. Mm. Yeah, my own game is uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I don't want to say anything though because I kind of want to keep it really tight. Where right now we've already got um, four levels done and it's playable. It's so it a lot has of levels. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, we have levels. <laughs> Exclusive info right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have levels. Um, it's it's crazy. Making the game is is totally crazy. Um, yeah, I, I started getting interested in games a little bit. I mean, I used to play when I was younger and I had time, but. Um, Frankly, now all I can do is sort of read about them occasionally. Um, <laughs> same, yeah, same. Come around. The only thing I played was Alien Isolation, which I thought was. Um, yeah, what do you think of that? Did you did you get through the whole thing? No. Yeah, I me mean, neither. I had like a panic attack, and I, and and I, I like yeah, <laughs> was didn't help like my anxiety at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, 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 I was, I was like so excited because um, yeah. we should definitely talk about Alien and Ridley Scott because I'd love to talk about the High Castle project in regards to Ridley Scott yes. as well because um, we both kind of well, you've worked with him a little bit closer than I have, but I had a little little brief encounter through people through um, Prometheus, which is awesome. two of his projects now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the most recent one, I was a little bit closer. I was just one separation. So my my co-director Chris, give a little shout out to Chris. He's one of the nicest guys I know, and such a sweetheart. Um, he's really close with Ridley, and um, 3 a.m. is designed to kind of pr- help promote and build promotions for uh, mm. Ridley's films. And the last piece with Neil Tyson was such a blast. I remember emailing you. That's right. And I was like, dude, maybe we should do something for this because it'd be a lot of fun. Um, knowing that you'd be way too busy and you're very smart. And you said no. And I, I totally thought that was awesome. So that was a hard thing to say no to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't even think I could tell you much about it. I think I would just said it yeah. had involved Ridley Scott or something. So, yeah, but you yeah. had mentioned, um, that Ridley had reached out to the team that had created the high castle piece, right? Yeah, I, I, I don't know that's public knowledge, but he, I think, yeah, he sent a note to Pat just saying that he, uh, he really liked the work, um, which, uh, I don't know what Pat's done with the note. I hope it's framed on a wall somewhere. But That's yeah, so it's, cool, I man. Mean, it's, yeah, it passes in my taste in film as man. You know, like a, a note from Ridley Scott. It's a pretty amazing thing to get. <laughs> Absolutely, man. It's a definitely a uh, very special high honor. But it's well well earned, though, I think. Um, what you I actually just read the book. Um, How was it? Yeah, just recently. And I loved it. it was Fascinating a, subject matter, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I hadn't, I mean, I hadn't, Maybe I don't read enough, but I hadn't come across that kind of a uh, fourth wall, I guess, thing in a book before. Uh, sorry, I probably shouldn't. Have you read the book by chance? I haven't, but it's okay. I'll read it. It doesn't matter. Yeah, also, I don't want to spoil it for people. That spoiler haven't read alert. It. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a Philip K. Dick, and Philip K. Dick is, is pretty amazing. It's, it's, his imagination and is really wonderful. I'm, I'm actually currently really addicted to hardcore history podcasts. You've ever listened to those? I haven't, no. Oh, about. shit. Get in those, man. If you have. Um, well, you mentioned that you listen to podcasts and stuff, so you definitely should check out Hardcore History. Check out the Genghis Khan, the Khan regime. Check out that one. Like, there's mm-hmm. a he. I won't. I won't spoil it. Just go listen to those. And right now, I'm on the the um, the the blue the blueprints to Armageddon. I think it's like 14 hours of lecture. It's amazing, mm-hmm. though. He the, the way he um, delivers history and conveys things unbiasedly and um, very re- relative. Ah, it's fucking awesome. But um, to go on to the riff of the High Castle thing, I think that's pretty amazing, you know. And I think what you're talking about as far as like getting regards or praise or like you know thanks from Ridley, it's like wow, it really doesn't get better than that. And also, no, it, it is. Qu- it's quite hard to comprehend. It is. Well. Like, 
Um, yeah. Particularly growing up in Australia and sort of, you know, Hollywood being a, a very distant entity and sure. those films like, uh, I had like nightmares for years as a little kid from Alien um, <laughs> to the point like I would I'd get quite homesick at staying up at people's houses and my parents would have to come pick me up as a little kid. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> like those films are really seared in my memory. Um, uh, I think that's Alien and Aliens, but, you know, uh, particularly back then because you used to watch them and they'd be recorded off the television on a VHS tape and, you know, be <laughs> sort of grainy and noisy and like on a small screen and you'd watch it at night. And, like, sure. The monster's made, even more scary because you can't it, tell. You know, when something's a bit blurry and a little bit kind of, it's not like high definition kind of ruins the fear. Oh yeah, it does. Yeah. Too much information. Um, yeah. I remember like, uh, also like Dr. Who we used to watch as a kid back then it was just really low budget and it was always sort of filmed on a really bad overcast day in kind of like <laughs> industrial outskirts of London. And that just made it terrifying. Yeah. You know, more, more so than the, it would be now. It's a good point actually, psychologically, um, the clarity of images and what they do to people's minds. I think sometimes, I personally, I don't like going to see 3D films and I don't like really high definition necessarily. Sometimes it just, it depends on the situation. The last time I saw something, let's say an IMAX was uh, Nolan's Interstellar, which I found to be freaking mm. awesome. Um, some, obviously there were some things I had problems with, but it's all mm. in all, I mean, a pretty damn amazing accomplishment as far as film there's only so many directors these days left that can do such a powerful thing and ridley scott and nolan is definitely one of them and also the guy who did mad max and stuff too which is which was phenomenal you know as far as like current day film cinema you know so yeah mad max was great i i sort of i wasn't quite sure what to expect because it sort of had mixed like a lot of positive reviews but then i couldn't quite wait what to, what I was going to see when I went there. But sure. um, I watched a few interesting videos about that, how like they can cut really quickly in that, in that film by having all the action constant center frame. Like they'll have the face in the middle, the hand with the gun in the middle, or like everything's always in the middle. Yeah. So you cut, like cut, 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 cut. Um, he, like I love that he's, I forget the name of the director. I should know him because he's Australian. <laughs> but, um, yeah. He, yeah. 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 But, yeah. He's still developing the craft. Like he hasn't, you know, he's still wanting to do something completely new and try something different. And like he's still developing as an artist is, is amazing. He must yeah. have had a really great crew, you know, as you know, and I know the, the recipe for these things is, is having a great crew, you know, a great team of people um, that are underneath you or working with you and building things with you. And they know that they can only make these things with these people you know so um mm. but yeah absolutely and that that's cool man i just wanted to touch on that because yeah we got some really cool um it's just it's it's always um special those are really special moments and to have those the creative process for this project it'd be really great to kind of dive into this if you wouldn't mind sure um, like kind of how these things come about so this is um this was uh, an elastic piece so it was a project that amazon reached out to elastic i imagine and then patrick got a hold of it and had an idea and you guys kind of riffed off these things like where does it go from when when elastic kind of lines the the client with you guys and where does it go from there um, well, th this was an interesting one for me because this is us sort of testing whether I could work on this remotely to a degree. Um, so I was in, just got to Melbourne when I started doing High Castle. So uh, Pat had worked with a team of designers there doing boards and he was really doing some amazing things with the ideas of this sort of double imagery and so on. Um, the projections. And I actually, we'd wanted to do this projection style thing. I think we'd 
had an idea in this area on an earlier job of taking a, a piece of graphic or an image. Of, I think it was footage back then and projecting it onto a statue of some sort. Um, but we sort of, I think he found it was a good way to fit and it worked well for High Castle. Um, so he sort of came up with some new ideas of working with that style. And then for me, I guess I was quite interested. I just started getting into Octane at that time. Uh, yeah, let's talk about Octane. Yeah, happy to talk about Octane. <laughs> Very happy. Um, and like, I tried to do this in the past and I was just like, I was terrified that we'd actually would win a pitch on using projections because I had no fucking idea how to actually render this stuff out and get it to work, you know, because there's such subtleties of light that happen when you project something um, and they're very hard to recreate. Uh, but then Octane, yeah, sort of I figured out a way to do it in Octane and it was, you know, coming back with render times that was sort of feasible. So I was quite excited to work on it. And a lot of the techniques I think I developed on this um, – ended up using semi-permanent so it was it was very i learned a lot doing these titles sure you can i can definitely see the transition because there's definitely some similarities in in there visually but at the Mm. same time it's really cool to see um yeah i was really taken back by just how beautiful it was so the the process was um Patrick would have the idea and the concept and you guys would riff off the things and then kind of come up with the concepts and you're out away on the other side of the earth trying to prove that you could do this um, on the other side. And that could be sometimes really challenging, right? Um, earning that trust, I suppose, even though you have it, but at the same time having to prove that. And do, do you think that kind of in, encouraged you to work harder or faster or better in a sense because you weren't there? Partly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was really felt very privileged that Pat was entrusting me to, to make these. Um, and we, you know, we had like a great team over in LA, um, at Elastic supporting and doing everything. So it was a lot of us working on it. There was a great modeler who put a huge amount of detail, a guy called Jose, um, model all these amazing forms for us. Oh, okay, um, great. But like, particularly the statues, um, some of like the maps and other things came from different points, but, uh, yeah, so it was, it was, it was a nice area to kind of test whether it was going to work. Um, and I think we also delivered in like 2K as well. So it was like just logistically, can we render at 2K and then send this over and get it all done in like tight timelines? But I was pretty scared at the beginning. Um, <laughs> the scale of what this was. And then, uh, yeah, so happily it's a, turned out a reasonably smooth process. Um, yeah. Yeah, really yeah. beautiful. Yeah, we should definitely talk a little bit about Octane. I think you and um, Beeple, Mike Winkleman, my friend Beeple, um, oh, the two no, of no. you guys have sold me on getting a PC, and I have this fucking huge ass beast, and also Miche, my partner in the Learn Squared, um, because man, this Octane shit, it's like, dude, I need this like so badly <laughs> because when um, I see this, uh, so when I work in cinema, a lot of people talk to me, ask me, what do I use? And, um, so we, it'd be really great to actually have a little bit of a technical chat about this stuff because uh, there's a lot of questions that people, I'm sure, I'm well, sure you I get a lot of questions, questions, right? That I had to learn sort of the hard way. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I, I wish there'd been a bit more of a kind of, I don't know. I'm terrible at like reaching out online and ask people things. So I just buy stuff and then find it doesn't work. Um, yeah, I heard you last t- um, talking to people, to the mic, um, and talking about the PC side of things. I don't, I don't know if I misrepresented that, but I, I'm still working on a Mac, but very much in the same boat as you of like conti- considering moving over to a PC. Yeah. Um, 
the way I did it was I think I had a card that would fit into the into the Mac Pro, like the old ones. Um, like a 760 or something? Had a 680. 680, um, yeah. And it was fine, but Octane doesn't really run very well on one card. Um, no, it doesn't. <laughs> so I bought a second card, a 780, and mm. then so realized oh, that's not going to work. So I ended up buying an ex- – this is super indulgent geekiness. But oh, you, you, know, you bought an external G- GPU? Uh, an external – power supply that sits on top of it most people just be horrified by this so it sits on top of the mac i have to keep the side of the case off and has cables that run into the computer (laughs) (laughs) and Uh, it freezes at least once or twice a day if i'm doing heavy octane stuff (laughs) um, if i'm rendering on both of the cards if i just render on just a 780 it seems to not misbehave so it was super hacky but i've always done things i think a bit a bit hacky um you know I haven't sort of been around bigger studios to learn sort of the proper ways to do things. <laughs> kind of surprising. <laughs> well, you're um, still getting the outcome, so that it doesn't really matter then, you know. So you're just like a lot of these things are. I think even Ridley, if we bring him up, because he's going to be like the glue of this conversation, um, he'd say um, like I loved in his commentaries, nature is, uh, or what's it. Uh, necessity oh fuck i totally fucked up to say oh it'll come to me in a minute is that him the, the, i know the i think the, i know the phrase it's not him necessity is the mother of all nature or something yeah like. no, mother of invention mother necessity of is the mother of invention yeah and it's not him in his saying i don't think but i just remember him saying that a lot when he was making alien for example and just you just have to do what you can to make this thing work because it doesn't matter the end well, result matters you know so that's what i really loved about alien and i feel like what, the problem with, I don't know if they make films differently now, but this idea of like having to rationalize why every shot is in something, it's kind of very clear. Sort of like, it's like economic rationalism for, for storytelling or whatever, that you have to, it has to be an absolute purpose or reason. It's sort of a simplification of, I mean, maybe it's the way you describe things, but I think in Alien, they spent a lot on the set, right? And so they ended up just having, and I'm not sure if this is the reason, but they ended up having a lot of slow shots just moving through corridors, yeah, which yeah. if you were trying to rationalize in a meeting with a bunch of execs, it's kind of like so we'll have one shot of a corridor, then we'll cut to another shot of a corridor, <laughs> and we'll have a slow moving one. Like, which it, is the brilliance of that film? Yeah, yeah, all the all the space in that film, like all the time, the sort of the, the emptiness of that film is why it's it's really haunting. Why it's really interesting. Yeah, there's um, if you fill everything with detail, you, you, you kind of you over explain it and you well, kind of lose the magic. It's too one sided. There's a really amazing um video. I don't know if you've seen it yet. It's uh Ghost in the Shell Identity in Space. Have you seen that? Um I have not, but I'm very interested. <laughs> is, there's this author on YouTube called Nerdwriter. I'll send you the link right now. Um he has this really amazing uh analysis that he poses on his uh his channel where he does a little analysis and he breaks down the concept of the, what he thinks and reason why some of the ingredients in ghost in the shell work so well. And he says it's aspect to aspect, um, shooting where he talks about that scene where the majors on the boat and that one scene where it's, it's just music and her, and she's interacting visually with the city. And there's, there's not a whole lot of necessarily quote unquote action, but Mm. it doesn't matter because, that whole scene is so vital in order to, to the whole, the whole essence of that film. Um, and whereas in, in conjunction with like most, most mainstream commercial um, films nowadays would be a lot of action to action orientation. Um, so to bring up your point, um, and I agree and 
I'm constantly studying films when I study them. Um, it's really interesting to see how different um, directors and from different regions will represent a story. And um, definitely that's, um, you should check that out because it's really interesting. Some really interesting things come up in that. Um, mm, we'll do have, have you seen um, Coconada? I think that's how to pronounce it. Have you seen some of his stuff on Vimeo? Um, maybe. What is he, it? Um, what, what you got? Give me the goods. Well, he, he, a similar thing. Like he does film analysis, basically, but he does. A, I mean, he's doing classics, I guess, like Kubrick um, and Tarkovsky and, and other bits and pieces. But I had a, a. It was a video that I really liked of his that I linked to on. There was an art of a title um, interview about something permanent. There's a, a link in there to look at. But he, um, yeah, I just. I mean, I have a very kind of loose. I haven't studied a film in any way, but it's it's beginning to be more and more a thing. I guess I get quite fascinated by. But he had a great thing on Tarkovsky, which did he did Solaris um, mm. that was then made by Soderbergh again later on. But I love that film. Just how he picks out all his certain details and like and how it links into other films and it just yeah I just found it quite fascinating. Or like you you know just the one point perspective stuff from um, um, from Kubrick's films. That so many of his shots are all center framed and that kind of which was a big rule that some people said oh you shouldn't ever put something center framed and you realize how much he does it like. And the effect that has on his films. But, uh, yeah, I really enjoy Coconata because um, he's introduced me to a few different directors that I hadn't come across before. And he distills it in a way that is um, simple enough for me to understand, which is good. That's awesome. I think the rule is that there is no rules. I think the, I think it's whatever you want it to be, you know, and I think as a creator, it's what whatever you decide it to be. Um, this last weekend I was, I rewatched this film called it follows. Have you seen that? No, that film? No. Um, I won't say much about it. Just go see it. Um, see it, watch it and then watch it again. And I was, I watched it for the first time just to experience it. It was a lot of fun. It's a horror film. It's pretty awesome. Pretty amazing actually for what it is. Um, in this day and age, I was really surprised. Um, and then, if you watch it again, you kind of pick up all that, that language there's there, everything's designed, um, as an intention. I don't know if it's the DOP is a genius or if the director is, or mm. if both of them together are geniuses. Um, there's very few times in that film where I was like, Oh, you don't need that shot. But everything else is like, wow, this is designed perfectly. Like, I wouldn't even change a thing about it. It's like looking at impeccable design. It was really surprising. Andrew, I know you saw that film. Go watch it again if you get a chance to because it, it kind of blew me away. I was like, wow, I can't believe how fucking amazing these shots are Like yeah. set up and the pacing. It's like, it's holy shit. Halloween movie. Yeah, I don't even like it's like it has it's it's a horror film, right? And horror yeah. is very hard to do. Uh, there there I can only count a couple really good horror films on, you know, I mean, how many great horror films are there really? The Shining's Four. one of them. <laughs> Four, mm. yeah. I think it, I think the it Ring follows is pretty as, good. The Ring is amazing. Yeah. It falls apart at times, but it's, yeah. every horror film does really, you know. Yeah, the thing I like about it follows is that it's not even as outright scary as it is just like such a mood yes it's such a, a piece. sensation throughout the entire thing that it's it's like unforgettable i think yes that's generally for me my sign of a film that i kind of have liked is, is one that seems to have a uh, a very unique kind of tonal quality to it that you can kind of like it's like a nostalgic smell or something like mm. you, you need to, to see watch. this yeah yeah you'll you'll <laughs> like it follows. yeah you need to watch this and, and email us when you're done let us know what you think watch it first experience it and then take some little bit of time and away from it and then go watch it again just for visual language 
um yeah we had um disaster piece the the composer of it on the podcast too which is really phenomenal because that's parts of it too yeah the music was just fucking stunning in the way it was placed so you'll see i don't want to overhype it and even if i do i don't care because you're gonna like it anyway so <laughs> yeah all right yeah. pretty it's confident it's terrible but I get, I get very scared you know with scary films oh but, good this is perfect yeah, then yeah. you'll love it um you know i think music is an interesting one i i was trying to trying to put my finger on what like defines an art house film mm. it's generally that it just doesn't have music to tell you what to feel <laughs> like that's a just, good point they're, yeah. they're quiet they're always quiet you know, they don't have those. They can't like, afford it. <laughs> quite possibly. Or like, yeah, they just don't have the production time. But it always... Um, money. <laughs> yeah, always money. But you, like on the other end of the scale, like a very overproduced film, this sort of ends up being a bit like a um, uh, the pokies. I don't know if, does pokies make any sense in America? You no, what, what's that phrase thing? mean? What's that? Um, it's a game, a gambling machine. Oh. Where you uh, rule... Uh, you pull the, the lever and you get the three Liberty Bells. Oh, okay. yeah. machine? Yeah, like um, like a slot machine, I guess. Yeah. Slot machine, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, on, on one end of the scale, you have films that can be a bit overproduced and have sound like sound cues for ev- absolutely everything that you're supposed to be. They, they tell the plot through the sound. Like, okay, this is suspenseful. This is sad. Yeah, this is I hate that, dude. I hate it so much. It's like, and oh, like, here comes the dramatic strings. Uh, every time that happens, I look at my wife go, oh, fuck, the dramatic strings. Like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to feel. You know, she's like, yeah. I try not and to watch films with my wife. It. I think she hates me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get my wife to stay awake in a film. Like, without fail, with an hour in, she that's awesome it was usual suspects and she's like i didn't think it was so good i'm like you fell asleep halfway (laughs) your opinion (laughs) yeah that's that's isn't that crazy to think about um for films in general um you go through and we know how hard it is to make these things um even just a brief understanding of it how difficult it is and then let alone make a great one and then people just fall asleep (laughs) it's like it's it's very um it's very fickle it's a very interesting fickle most of the world is completely indifferent. Uh, yes, absolutely. I remember um, talking with a friend of mine, and he was like, I don't ever watch movies. I was like, what the fuck? You never watch movies? He's like, yeah, maybe seen like five movies. I'm like, whoa. What? Like, yeah. like that's, that's weird. It's, it's weird, but it's actually kind of awesome. You know, um, It's great for me to know that because it just makes me feel like, what I do is nothing and means nothing, you know, so go and <laughs> have fun. Again, without trying to describe what we do, I was, I think I was in an airport and I was, the lady was asking what, what I did and I said motion design. She had no idea what it was. And I was, the thing I often go to to describe what motion design is, I think most people have seen a James Bond film. It's like mm. a bit like the bit at the beginning. It's kind of graphical. Yeah. And that, uh, her response was, I've never seen a James Bond film. <laughs> Yeah. And then it's like, she, what? You're all, look at this Emmy. Look at this Emmy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, but that's what's funny and ironic about it too. And, um, I think a lot of the times, um, you can get swept up in, you know, from producers or overhyped or these awards and all these kind of things and people thinking, Hey, this is the most important thing right now. And it's all in a bubble. And once you realize you go outside of it and go, you know, fuck, I'm not saving lives here. I'm just pushing images around and making nerds happy like myself, you know, and, and that's, but that's plenty enough, you know, that's plenty enough to make me happy. But at the end of the day, I, you know, it's, I remember when I was first starting out, um, doing this stuff, I was so proud to say that I worked in films or so proud to say that I worked on movies or, or television shows. It is amazing. Sure. Definitely. But now it's interesting. So like I'd go to a party or something 
somebody asked me what I do and I would just say, Oh, you know, I work on films or whatever when I was first starting. But now when people ask me and I'm at a, at a, like a party, I say, Oh, I just, I'm just creative. And my wife will be next to me and she'd be like, dude, come on. <laughs> She's like, no, he just doesn't just do that. And she would explain The question it. is, would you do that if your wife wasn't there to back it up? With the explainer. Like, <laughs> no, you I wouldn't probably. Yeah. Actually, I like to just keep myself right pretty quiet and away from that because, um, usually what happens is the same questions come up like, Oh, did you go to school for that? It's always the number one thing. Where did you go to school for that? I'll say learn square bitches sign up now. (laughs) (laughs) Shameless plug. (laughs) No, but seriously, like it would just, you know, there's, there's the redundancy of it. So, um, I, I think it's cool. It's definitely rad. It's really interesting. Um, but I don't know what happened. It kind of changed for me, I guess, for me, and I don't know if I'm alone in this, but when you acquire these goals, I'm always like, okay, I've acquired that. It's on to the next thing, you know. Do you the feel thing like my wife always thing? says is, if um, anyone that's any good at something is modest about it, which uh, is not 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 bad advice, really. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. I think anybody that I've encountered or read interviews or heard things from that were brilliant were very humble about it, and I think they realize that's kind of the formula. Because I think the moment you get caught in, caught up in, 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 in thinking you're the shit, I think that's the moment that you've, you're losing track of what it is, you know? Um, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's odd and it's, it's interesting. That's something I wanted to talk to you about by, you know, winning these awards and stuff and what that means to you. And, um, you know, like what does that do to you creatively? Did, did it affect you at all? like psychologically and moving forward. Complete head fuck. Was it? Yeah. Well, so, yeah, yes and no. It's it's a strange thing. Um like uh I haven't quite distilled it into a clear answer really of, of what I I think it made me it hasn't made me at all any more sure of of myself. Like it, in fact it's probably promoted a whole bunch of anxieties and like <laughs> you know uh and then and then it's that it's that kind of what do you do now? Like where do, where do you go from that? Like is do you, I I don't know, like it's a bit um like a second novel or something. Hmm. And I guess what drives a lot of people is this idea to sort of make it to somewhere. Like they're trying to get to something. And that was probably a problem in my, myself as I was like wanting to sort of like I'd moved into this area from motion design. I've probably been in it a few years um, and wanting to kind of prove that I could do this. And then you, if that's your driving goal is to prove, that, prove to yourself that you're capable of doing this and you sort of get what seems to be quite a clear kind of like pat on the head like yes you, you you've achieved that you're, you're doing this it, you've won an emmy or whatever it's where you it can be a little like oh fuck what do i do now <laughs> like, sure yeah. how do i you know what's that next mountain decline where do i go from here and what is that for you because that's interesting so you're talking about chapters and books closing and opening and stuff so well semi-permanent was i guess in a little bit that was a point of like you know you always really wanted to make something like pat that and padded you know this is true check was really pat's thing and um, you know, I was very lucky to go along on that ride, but it was a sense of, well, can I do something on my own and it'd be worthwhile? Um, and then also, yeah, I guess just to explore some stuff that I'd always wanted to make, like to be indulgent. Um, and that was kind of what semi-permanent was and that sort of seemed to have gone reasonably well. So, and then it's now I'm in that next phase of like sort of searching around vaguely, flailing, <laughs> like uh, what's that next thing that I'm it's going to get me excited. Hmm. Um, I haven't put my finger on it yet, but I don't think you, I don't want to rush to it, you know? Yeah, you should happen organically. Yeah, it will. It'll just happen without you knowing, I think, you know, 
a lot of people got in touch about VR after semi-permanent for some reason, which I hadn't even considered. Um, like I'd been quite interested in the whole VR world, but uh, for some reason it seemed to spark a VR thing, I guess, because it's a single person floating through a universe of sorts. That sure. That's why, why Zero it started. G. But, yeah. Hmm. I have a few thoughts about it, I guess. I, I, have you tried one, it? That it's, it's really bloody hard to make stuff for it. Um, yeah. yeah, I have tried it. Um, I bought the first uh, Oculus Rift when it came out. Oh, the um, dev kit one? Dev kit one, which mm-hmm. just made me incredibly nauseous. Yeah. It was so exciting for at least like 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Uh, and then after this one, um, a guy called Jules Ulbrucht, who's the Otoy guy, got in touch and um, he sent out a, a Gear VR, which is like the Samsung thing in the, in the mask. Mm-hmm. Um, which and that, that had come along leaps and bounds. So that was quite, it was quite exciting to, to play an experiment with that. I did a, uh, a very quick rushed piece for they had that render the metaverse contest. Did you come across that? No. What is that? It was basically you could make a single frame, like a huge um, sphere frame that you could look around and you could stand in that would have 3D um, and enter into a competition. They had like amazing prize money. It was like, I don't know, seven, ten thousand dollars $10,000, that kind of thing. Rad. And, oh, yeah. And three, three times. $10,000 first price, uh, first place award. That's rad. Grand yeah, price, yeah. 25000 That's cool. They really put some money behind it. And yeah. uh, only got around to entering like into the third round um, where everyone by that point had figured out it was <laughs> good money and, and quite a good contest to enter. Um, awesome. But, you know, you realize that, you know, I guess if Facebook buy um, Oculus for $2 billion, there's, there's a lot of money there. It's got that same vibe. Well, they want to make being, the metaverse, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's, it's that vibe of like early internet, you know, this is a frontier land um, to explore. Yeah. And I like I, I got quite because I came you know, from a gaming understanding of it, it seemed very exciting. But then the more I've sort of experienced, I feel like it needs a kind of a um, a more popularist kind of film thing to happen that is less adventurous in terms of the experience. You don't actually need to do that much. I think you should sort of very small steps into VR. Yes, not so much a um, blow people's minds. I think you can just if you could sit someone between two actors having a very interesting conversation about something that was, and you were right there watching that. And then you maybe have, you cut to a few scenes here or there that are a little more like, I don't know, floating through space or something. Um, you could really sell that idea yes. um, to, to the general public and get people to talk about it. And you're like, Oh, there's amazing like acting performance by this well-known actor talking to someone else. Like that could sell the idea far more than, cause people want to get into that. Cause that's now popular culture. It's not part of, game culture that is somehow still seen as separate from mainstream that's very much it that's exactly it um you have a good grasp on it because you've tried it and i've tried it too i've been around with it and been playing with it for quite a while and i'm working on stuff with it right now so i have a pretty decent grasp on it and what it's going to be and where it's going to go and why it works and why it doesn't it's still very much wild wild west but i think the, the the real key and interesting thing here is just just having it as as a tool um it's i i feel like it's um, if it's done right, it's going to be the next form of media consumption. Um, mm. And that's why Facebook bought it. You know, like we all know that they, they want to make the metaverse. They want people to live in Facebook and live in there and, and coexist in there. And it's really interesting. It's quite a bit scary, too, because um, it's, escape, yeah. it's escape, escapism and it's um, can be very addicting. Um, but 
there is as of now you'll get nauseous really quickly and i think um, that limits the escapism <laughs> yes exactly you, you can only handle so much um, because what happens is your equilibrium um, your body is physically in this space where the equilibrium changes uh, based on your own physical movement but in vr it's completely changing so it, what you're getting is you're getting a lot of missed signals firing back and forth and then you get nauseous and it's what you mm. typical typically get when you get seasick or something like that you get these misfirings and all that stuff that's happening and it um, takes a while to wear off is what's, what's quite yeah a yeah i actually it. got kind of like um almost like drunk off of it um it was hard to it's hard to explain I uh, just very like, uh, after trying it, probably did it. I don't know. I was testing out this thing for maybe a total of 30 minutes, 30, 40 minutes, um, off and on having not done anything for a long time with it and then going completely what, into what, what kit were you using? Uh, this was the newest one. Um, I can't really oh, yeah. talk about it cause it's all like proprietary hidden stuff. So, of but it was the newest sir. thing and there was all these new technologies with it. And it was really, it was amazing. Um, the team that I'm working with on this is just fucking outstanding people and really. So you've got that same vibe. You've, you had a lot of people recently getting in touch saying, Hey VR. Oh yeah. 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 It's, been the, yeah, yeah. it's been the past couple of years actually. And I was like, I actually able to meet, um, Nathan and the, the CEO of Oculus and talk with him about stuff. And Anthony and I were wanting to build something with them. And cause we are really interested in wondering what storytelling is going to be like in, in that space too. And like you said, I think you hit it perfectly. It's more or less for immersion, um, rather than complete immersion. It's like immersion on like a tolerable level. So like well, you that, said, that, I mean, that's why I love film. Like it's just, it's that immersive quality that, and that kind of, um, the awe or the odd feeling that kind of the, the, the kind of things that are hard to describe, I yeah. guess, sort of, um, is what interests me. They're the kind of films I often sort of move towards and uh, VR seems a way to kind of, you kind of get that in a cinema when you're in a dark room and it's a big screen. You know? yeah. VR sort of seems to be a, similar to that, but even a step beyond that. And that just seems quite, quite fascinating what you can kind of do to the psyche in that area. Well, um, yeah, when you watch a film, time. it's a designed experience and it's a POV mm. of the designed experience. But with VR, it's a completely different realm. And I think when people are trying to translate that, they're, gri- they're gripping at things like, let's make a video game. Okay, yeah, that's a quick, easy trans- transition. But well, we, that's what we have is that's interactive at the moment. So it, I think but it's, it has to yeah. change. It has to become vr completely like a completely immersive experience and it's just going to take a couple really smart people to understand what that vision is and to create that properly um it's all there Uh, actually the ingredients are there i think the hardware is we're going to be there in like three or four years Uh, right now there's a lot there's still a latency there's um a little bit too much um because it's so close to your face and um, no matter what the resolution is, your eyes are going to pick up the pixels and you're going to get a lot of chromatic shifting and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So what we need to have is some kind of interesting rig or some sort, but um, the hardware is, is, is still pretty big. It's pretty close. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It doesn't seem too far from me. I, I, for me as a designer, it's just quite odd. This world of without frames is just a mind bending sort of thing. Of you just realize how much you've been used to sort of the edge. Yeah, yeah. There's no such thing. And, yeah. and if you're really smart, you're gonna take note of what's happening right now. Um, so, like, what I one of the things that I do when I create things is I will like photo bash or grab things and build stuff. And I think you probably do the same thing because you have an amazing amount of textures and stuff like that. But when you go and make stuff, let's say for vr or 
complete immersion it's like you it's you can do that but you have to build in that space and build in those parameters what is yeah yeah, like the the there's a the head the skull from um semi-permanent tiles is in this metaverse render that i did um and i just loved framing that with like a a real long distant lens zooming in so it's really flat yeah the telephoto Um, yeah and you just can't have something large in a telephoto in a scene that like the the lens doesn't work in the same way (laughs) it's just very very annoying very confronting to have to work that way yes it's a completely different way of digesting things and working with them and how you show them you know what 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 directors and filmmakers were able to get away with in the past will not be able to get away with in the future because it's completely different um it's it's very unique though it's very um yeah, I think everybody, if you're listening to this and you're taking note, you should definitely become aware of it because I personally think if we can get past a couple of these things, I know that I think of what, it's like 7 or 8% of the population just cannot use VR because they get sick no matter what. So those people will always have to consume something differently, but um, mm-hmm. the general population is going to be consuming things or using things, interacting things with AR, VR. And, um, if you're making, if you're a content creator, you should be really, really privy to this and be on the forefront and understand it and try to make content for it. Cause it's, it's a completely different space. It's very unique and different, interesting too. So. Yeah, it's exciting. It's nice to be kind of uh, around that point where you might potentially be a pioneer in a, in a new medium. It's just pretty fascinating. Oh yeah. It's, you, you, you know, you read back about early filmmakers and so on, you know, think, oh, that would have been exciting. <laughs> yeah. What's the George Lucas of. VR, you know, who's Hmm. that? Who's, who's going to be the George Lucas of VR? You know, the person that's going to create a narrative and, and bridge the gap between what, cause, um, obviously special effects have been around way before that and were used way before that. And some films pulled off some really amazing things, but George managed to really up everything with Star Wars, you know, as we all know. And so who's, who's that person that's going to do that? Is that you? Are you listening to this right now? If it is, go do it. I'm excited to experience it. You know, maybe it's you, you know, maybe you're going to figure it out. You know, if you're getting interested into it, you know, so you never know because you're already kind of, you already have a lot of the skills and the the tools, you know, to build things. So it's fun to think about. It's fun to theorize. I think, um, I think if I was ever going to get into VR, I, I would uh, not be actually making the content in terms of um, still. I think this is a point where I'd be hands off. <laughs> like, That's good. Yeah. It's, you have to be like, really pr- pretty um, program heavy and understand a lot of heavy duty stuff. I, I, yeah. I don't think it's going to be grassroots on this. I think a lot of it's going to have to come from bigger studios. Um but yeah, that's that's fine. Yeah, that'll work. It, it keeps making me think of. Um, did you ever see Videodrome? Mm, no, it's an old '80s film. Um, Videodrome. Videodrome. Um, by what's his name? Yeah, David Cronenberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's an old Cronenberg it's, it's, film. It's super trippy and like super kind of weird sexual thing, but it's like this message in VHS kind of scrambles people's brains and like they all go insane. Um, but it's a nice kind of, it was like a pre-warning about television and film about VHS era, I guess, but in a classic Cronenberg kind of way, but you you can relate it to, um, where we are now to VR. I I love the cover. It's like a head going into the TV. It's it's, 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 like some really iconic images out of that movie. Huh. It's amazing. You have to watch it. It's, and it's great, great sound, great audio. It's super creepy. Um, I just don't think they make films like this anymore, or at least not on like this scale with um, these actors. Like, 
yeah. yeah he's he was making some really unique things taking a lot of risks david was making a lot of stuff and this is also made the year of my i was born this is cool and I, I noticed your your skype name is 83 are you 32 yes. as well I'm 32 we're getting old we are dude <laughs> we're twins time twins yay yeah that's awesome yeah 83 baby yeah we're it's getting a good old. year. I think so. It's a fucking awesome year. I think of all the films that have popped up. You Dude. know, like, I was just the right time. Yeah. Just the right time. It was a really great time to be growing up, I think. And yeah. just kind of being in with it. There's so many times that um, there's a there's this book that I've been meaning to read, but I've heard a lot of things that regard this thing about like when you're born and this even the, the time of the year that you're born is called Outliers. But mm-hmm. it talks about different successful people and when they were born and like the, the, the coincidences between these things and the eras and all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, Are like you getting a, into your horoscopes, Ash? No, not really. It's interesting stuff like like um, Napoleon, you know, like a character as gnarly as Napoleon or Hitler, for example. Um, is he a design of nature and time or a combination of both or and it's just interesting to ask these questions you know prolific people or monsters um and the time and era i'm just fascinated with this stuff especially right now because i'm going through the hardcore history and just freaking out on this geeking out on these incredible like moments in in time that um you know without having this guy tell me i would have totally forgot about because i didn't even pay attention in school and i didn't give a shit i was drawing everywhere so (laughs) (laughs) no i loved history i think history is a a great thing i think it's for the most part it seems quite dull but when you start to connect the points oh yeah you start to like from that point over there is quite related like and you can see how the idea is related to another idea somewhere else you begin to like you just have to have enough of those points in your mind that when you hear something you can kind of contextualize it and suddenly it's like that's well, quite fascinating. It grows. It's all about the deliverer. If your deliverer, your teacher can give it to you in the right way, nothing better than that, man. It's almost better than, you know, fiction. And it's real because it's, you know, like that's why it's so interesting because it is beyond fiction. And it's just, man, it's fascinating. Some of the stuff I'll listen to, like he was describing the guns that they were, that Germany had designed before. So they were using like Napoleon was using these nine pound cannons um, mm. not the, the actual, um, the, the cannon itself or the, uh, the, the projectile unit was nine pounds. Germany before automobiles and stuff, they had designed this 300,000 pound gun that would shoot, um, 2000 or 3000 pound, <laughs> um, bullets basically, or, and it would just destroy shells. at the shells, just fucking annihilate things that were supposed to be designed not to be even shook. Cause they thought they were going to be using these Napoleon, you know, shells. And he was just talking about like, that's the, that kind of stuff is if you sit there and think like, fuck, this is like ridiculous. And they would have to, you know, disassemble it in Germany and then break it into pieces and have like a whole team of like 400 specialists on the field and laying the concrete, let the concrete set, set up the gun, build it up and then blast these people. You know, it's, it's like completely like when you listen to the way this guy's delivering this and it didn't know that it's real and that it happened, it's just, I don't know. For me, it blows me away. I just can't believe it. So I've been uh, working on a project that's vaguely related to world war one and mm. looking at a bunch of history and it's, um, yeah, I, I like it when, when a job that you're working on actually takes you into having to do some proper research, but it's, yeah, it's sort of fascinating because you just sort of see it as history or kind of forgotten or in the past, but when you look at it and you think of like that stuff coming around for the first time, you know, it, it's quite a huge idea. That's awesome. Quite hard to comprehend, you know, like, yeah, the guns particularly, um, but like mustard gas and like just the new horrors of war or whatever. Like, yeah, the um, new horrors, yeah. 
like like we think like Guernica by Picasso, um, we think of that bombing as sort of yeah, like obviously a big part because of the painting, but we think of it as bad, bad. But we think of bombing from planes as pretty common now. But at that point, no one had really dropped bombs from a plane before, so it was sort of a horror, an incomprehensible kind of horror at that time. Yeah, yeah, you, you're going to love this podcast. Please check it out because I think you're going to freak out. I guess it's it's fascinating, and like I said, the deliverer, this this guy who who walks you through these lectures, is just phenomenal at speaking and explaining history, and it just doesn't. There's not even a dull moment when he he does lectures, and he, he'll do like a four he'll do four hour sessions or three hour sessions, and it's just. Before I know, I'm like, wow, like that was only four hours. Like that was four hours total. Like it's pretty awesome. So, and especially if you're Where getting into it now. Where do you find the time? I don't, yeah, I don't know sad. either. You know, I, it blows me away. I have one job and that's all I have to do. You know, and it, like once in a blue moon, I talk to you. Like that, that's it. And I still, I still struggle. I don't know where you get four hours. <laughs> well, you know, I do it while I will do be doing um, just creating things, building things. So. Um, while I want some narrative or if I'm, I usually, when I listen to those podcasts, it'll be on my way to to jujitsu. So I moved a little bit further away from my camp. So when I go train at jujitsu, it's like a 45 minute drive each way Mm. and I'll just, you know, plug in and, or I'll do calls. But, um, yeah, I think it's, um, it's, it's so important, man, to fill in my head with interesting things. Are you, are you the same? Do you, do you, do you, you do try to feed your mind with as much as, as intake as you can. And, and what is that stuff? I'd, I'd like to, but I'm not nearly enough. Mm. Um, I find that I kind of, I quite like downtime. I quite like um, sort of a blank brain for a bit, which I'm sure is not great, but no, it's actually really good. Being quite fascinated with things, but it, it, it I find it um, hard to be proactive about seeking them out. Uh, yeah. So I kind of, um, I don't listen to nearly enough as, as I should. I started to try to read a little bit more because I, I hadn't read for a while. But, <laughs> is, um, is that a, is that somebody like a habit that you're trying to make because of something happened or is it just like a decision that you, you wanted to do or have you ever been into books prior to this? I've always been surrounded by readers, good old readers, very intelligent people. And hmm. I got, I learned up by osmosis, but I guess I was sort of intrinsically lazy. And I know I don't ever read nonfiction stuff. So I used to read a lot of books on, um, uh, I guess politics and stuff when I was younger. Um, and that had kind of quite interested me, but then I, I, I guess maybe I got a bit single minded with work over the last few years and then sort of realized that I'd dropped a whole bunch of other interests. Um, and I, I guess I'm trying to rebalance that in, in terms of, I mean, when I first got to Sydney, when I moved back from London, I was just working from home and just doing work, and that was about it. And my wife would get home, and, and I would be—I just had no stories. I just had nothing to share. Like you need to kind of be engaged with the world, know what's going on, and know a whole bunch of different things, so you can actually add to a conversation. But um, uh, yeah, so I think that's why. Yeah, I'm trying to shift a bit more into kind of um, being more engaged in the world. Reading is fucking amazing. Like a really good book, and sometimes nothing meets beats that. Really, at least mm. for me, um, a really just engaging book. Man, it's just so good, so awesome. I, I bought your Elon Musk book after your recommendation. Oh, man, that guy will make you feel like the laziest asshole in the world. Man, that guy is. If, if that guy makes you feel lazy, I, oh, yeah. dude, I feel like a piece of shit when I listen to that guy. Dude, that guy is just building industries multiple industries in a country that doesn't want people to do that individually. It's just like 
man, it's fucking fascinating, man. Like it's, he's learned how to amplify his talent, I guess. Oh that's, yeah. He's, he's that's how to take what he can do, but then amplify that through other people, which is a very hard thing to do. I think well, he's like you and Patrick, you know, a dream team, a really great collaborative effort that together you guys make really amazing work and you know that, you know, and I think that's, that's, part of the skill is understanding who you connect with and how you connect with that person and how you make each other better by being together, by working on things together, because there's no way you can do it individually. You wouldn't be able to have done what you've done in your career without your team. Well, I definitely wouldn't do it without Pat. And I think that's why I was really lucky was I sort of had a style, I guess, a style in my head that just intrinsically was my thing that I like to do. And I was working in other companies here and there, and that wasn't, you know, it wasn't sort of clean enough perhaps or shiny enough. Like I'd always sort of had dirt and texture and rough <laughs> and like, and I think when I worked with Pat, like it was just the right fit. Like I think he like, he has a similar aesthetic, you know? Um, and so I could do things that he liked, you know, like if I actually just, instead of trying to do what I think someone else likes, do what I like, it mm-hmm. responded well with him. So that was very lucky for me actually to, to run into him in Sydney, you know? Um, How did you get your start with him? You just happened upon his work and just uh, actually he antibody or what? Um, yeah, antibody. Yeah, he. I did this piece called Spring. Um, just as I was sort of moving from graphic design into motion design, I thought oh, I want to do something, and this is I can explore a few techniques and things, but then also do something that I'm vaguely interested in. It was about the um, the Arab Spring, which was happening at the time in the Middle East, and I wasn't sort of doing anything sort of literal, particularly. I just sort of I'd watched so much stuff come through the TV over the years um, from the Gulf Wars and, and, and sort of religious stuff to do with Islam and a whole bunch of different things. But this sort of this gross simplification of that, those issues or what, what we've seen through the television and media of the Middle East. And I wanted to make this short video about it and also learn about motion graphics while doing that. And he'd come across that and... Um, and I think he quite liked it because he'd worked at Hungry Beast, which is a television show in Australia. That's how he, I think he'd got one of his main starts. And that was um, sort of, I don't know how to quite describe it if you haven't seen it, but it was youth-orientated news that was quite like internet savvy, quite progressive, quite interesting. Mm. Um, and he was doing these explainer videos, this amazing one for Stuxnet. Yeah, um, yeah. Of, that was you know, a huge that, video. Huge video, yeah. Mm. Was, like just... Huge. Um, and I think that really kick-started his career. So I think he was interested in what I'd done because it also had a sort of an element of politics and design and art mixed in together. Um, yeah. And she saw that and got in touch. And then, yeah, the internet, baby. The internet, <laughs> baby. Yeah. Fuck yeah, yeah. yeah. I love this stuff. It's like these match, matches made in heaven that would never have happened without the access to communication and you know this these are these are the baby yeah (laughs) vimeo baby like vimeo is killing it you know like youtube vimeo emails internet i mean this is when when these kind of connections happen they only you know imagine prior to this you'd i was laughing with my wife today we were talking about um just being old i guess and thinking about like damn you remember when we didn't have the the cell phones you know like when you were had to call your parents to pick you up or something you had to go and find actual physical phone and put quarters into it and like call them and hope that they're at that same place that you're calling you know if not then you're fucked you know so it's a different sense of time oh yeah yeah. time is i feel like um 
somebody took the time dial and just fucking ran like it's 11 right now when i was growing up as one maybe we're getting old very quickly <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I, 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 I love when, it though so when i went back to london i didn't have um when i lived in london i didn't have an iphone or anything like that and i went back recently for a month and i you know didn't have a card sim card that could work and it's like how did i live in this city without a map like i've just become so horribly reliant on um on technology that sort of terrifies me yeah yeah i have the same thing i don't even i only know my wife's number just because i had to buy you know it's like okay that's a very important number but Maybe I know my dad's number. That's about it. I don't even know the street outside of where I live on. I don't really care. I never have, though. Like, I've never acknowledged those <laughs> things as existing as part of something that I care about. But I've never really, you know, that's just, I, I drive by sight and, and smell, basically. So, but yeah, the dependency Quite on technology. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> man. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. You went off on quite a lovely tangent. Not anything I know anything about, so please don't indulge me on it. But um, you and uh, Mike Winkleman talking about cars the other day was was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, man, I love cars. I just got my dream car, so I'm just, I, anytime I get a chance, even today, I had to move it out of the garage because we were getting something brought into the house. And I was like, oh, I don't want it because they're, oh, well, we can go buy your, your car. I'm like, no, I don't want you guys to go too close to it. <laughs> <'Cause> I'm, <laughs> so just, I'm such an asshole. But if they mess as it up, as long as you got pissed. your passion, that's fine. Hell but yeah. Next time I'm in MLA, you can drive me around. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah. actually I don't know. Maybe that sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> it's a terrible <laughs> idea, trust me. <laughs> what? what are you talking about? It's a lot Dude, of fun. When I was donuts in the parking garage. <laughs> what? Did I, I do that? When you, you did like, or you did like, burnouts up the parking oh, that's garage nothing ramp. dude yeah i'll make you shit your pants next time like you in my fast car i've had worse uh than than first vr experience was when uh patrick was driving me around took me out the pch through the um through the mountains uh or the coastal mountains up near malibu and i was just horribly ill the entire time oh okay he yeah, just wanted yeah. to drop his car and i was like i feel ill well, what does patrick have uh, he's got a golf, um, like, mini like a GTI thing. or something. GTI, yeah. Oh, cool. Those are a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. those are fun he cars. Yeah, terrible man. suspension. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll take you for a ride sometime. Yeah, you'll see. This thing is insane. <laughs> it's just brutal, man. I was. It was funny. I I uh, was driving it the other day to go. Um, I don't get a chance to drive a lot because I work from home. So any chance I do, I'm like ah. Oh. And so every Monday, I've made a habit of going out to buy my wife flowers because I think it's really important to do that, to show her that I love her. And, you know, I think that's her love language. So I go out, I, I do that, but maybe like mix the day up a bit. No, <laughs> I just do Mondays every Monday. Cause if I don't, then I get, I totally lose track and then it won't happen. So Mondays is like a, it's my routine. I get up and I, so I drive the car and so I go and I, I drive my NSX and I park it really far away from everybody. And I go into the store, I grab the flowers, I come out, there's two guys outside looking at the car and, and I'm like, Oh, Hey, how are you doing? Like, Oh, is this your car? And then I think they get kind of surprised because I'm just like a bald guy with tattoos and don't look like I would probably own this car. <laughs> and then they yeah. expecting sort of 50 midlife crisis. Yeah. 50 midlife <laughs> crisis. I think I hit my midlife crisis at 30, I guess, but it was, it was funny. And so I'm talking to them. I'm like, okay, I gotta get going. And then two other people random, 
They're like, hey, can I take a picture of your car? It's like one says it, and then another guy comes up and does the same thing. I'm like, man, this is the biggest dick magnet ever. <laughs> like, I get out of here. He's <laughs> like, fuck. And yeah, just, it's, it's, it's really funny. It, what the things that it invokes in people, and these guys are telling me like their life story. I'm like, man, I don't want to hear your life story. I got to go take my wife, my flower, these flowers, and go back to work. But it, it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's fucking right. You, cool. you have a pet now that everyone wants to pet. Yeah, it's interesting, man. You'll see. It's a yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's gets a lot. Of, it's an interesting car. It's really cool. It's interesting what a machine will do to people too. It's people screaming and yelling or like that's funny. It's really interesting. But um, yeah, it's interesting to have these things too, and they're just objects, you know. So, um, but definitely objects of enjoyment. So, but mm, I need I need to find mine. I had a period there with synthesizers, uh, music stuff a few years back, and started collecting. But uh, I sort of kicked that habit, and I haven't developed another one since, but uh, I'm sure it'll come. Yeah, a little vice. We should. De- I want to definitely talk about music because music was a really important piece that um, connects with your creative juices and as far as, far as like semi-permanent because you also created the track for that, right? Yeah, I mean, to a degree, I can't take complete credit for that. Um, in that there was a, a really good sample library that came about. Well, that, thank goodness, um, damn it. I was like, no, yeah. he didn't make everything. I'd like to say I did fucking everything. But, um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, I sort of, so I got a good sample library. I really like a lot of samples, and I built most of the track from that with a bunch of other bits and pieces. But, you know, so it's not like I wasn't going out playing... Um, <laughs> You know, playing the strings, sorry. <laughs> I was um, like, if this fucker does all this stuff, I'm over. I quit, I man. played the oboe. I played yeah. the piano. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I watched a bunch of YouTube videos. I taught myself piano in 24 hours, and I went and made this other track. Yeah, no. I, get, I get really fucking funny about music. Um, it was weird. Like, there was the chance to use... Because um, Stanley Donwood, who's a Radiohead artist, um, was exhibiting as part of... Um, as part of semi-permanent um and he was working he does with covers Radio- right he does covers yeah yeah, yeah. Awesome so he, he, amazing yeah and he was radiohead was sort of involved doing a bit of audio for him and there was this potential like hey do you want us to ask if we can use like we can license a radiohead track and you know that was just like oh that's amazing but i tried like a million radiohead tracks and i just couldn't it just wasn't the right tonal thing you know like um, it didn't work in the way that I'd, I'd wanted it to. So it felt stupid. I was like, actually, I'm just going to make my own, which just seemed incredibly arrogant. But <laughs> yeah. I, I, got, I get quite finicky about music um, and the way that it sticks to the visual. Like there's that, the way that, I don't know, they just, something happens when they, they connect and they kind of feel like they've stuck together somehow, bonded or whatever. But um, I... Someone said to me once, I wish I could remember who it was, but the, the audio is at least 50% of the experience, if not more. And I really agree with it. It's like 80%, it, I think. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's, and I, I'm appalled at how often we just like leave it to the last thing or just add it to the end. But generally, <laughs> the stuff that I love is, is really linked. Like, um, Beeple's last thing uh, he did, um, I forget the name of it, the last piece that he just came out with, amazing, like, um, what was it called about zero, um zero, zero, zero days yeah yeah um i was drawing a blank too i'm like what the hell is that called freaking b-boy bastard going v11 or something <laughs> strangely yeah uh that had you know a really beautiful way that it, it, they linked i mean it's a very clear way of linking that visually they're very connected but it's a, it's a very clear example of how a few audio matches it works but um yeah no so i just felt i had to make the music to it 
And I guess I'd, I'd done that a little bit. I used to do in being a, I don't know if it's a band, but a music production duo with a guy in London when I was there. Um, and he's still doing that. Um, and I sort of help out occasionally, but, but very little, um, cause I'm lazy, <laughs> I guess. But I, I, yeah, I really enjoy the music side of things. I think it's like, I like music because you can say something that's quite hard to say. It's sort of almost a better way of communicating than, um, than words or literal visuals. Yeah. You just tonally get something. Um, so important, man. So hard to describe. Yes. Yeah. When I'm pulling choices for tracks or things in motions and things to convey, it's, 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 it's like, you know, it's real. It's almost as if you like, it's a love, you know, like you understand what love is based Mm. on the person that you're giving the love to. And Mm. I think it's the same thing with music. It's so um, intimate and so honest and you know it or you, or it either works or it doesn't. And that's absolutely music. Well, the music you did for FITC was, was perfect. Oh, that's, that's Anthony, you know, know, like Anthony, um, the, all I told Anthony, cause Anthony is a genius in his own right. He's just, yeah, I want to talk about him actually. (laughs) He's just, yeah, he's a, he's, he's just like you, man. I was like, man, you guys are just like, you guys are really similar as far as, um, you just go and make what you want to make. It seems. And you just, you know, you just go and create and that's awesome. And you create in a very big, huge way. I mean, Anthony's writing scripts now and they're, brilliant scripts are amazing they're so great i can't wait to see these things become film but before that he was making music and he's making his own films completely or he'll make like all the all the graphics or all the um the seeds like semi-permanent style you know like where he's just making everything um but i think i, I mean maybe that's a cinema 4d thing or i don't know but like that yeah it is from director things but this like, oh, the tools, I can kind of do quite a lot with this and I can kind of just make do and you can kind of scrap stuff together and it gets most of the way there. And yes. you don't, and you like to keep things simple and you don't like to overcomplicate them and you like to be able to, like, you know, I just, when you realize the idea of actually making a film on a larger scale with a, a, a big team of people seems kind of terrifying how much, like, just yeah. how slow it must feel. It's very slow. It's uh, a big beast. So that's yeah. a great point because I think with Cinema 4D, it's a, it's a very empowering program and I'm not just saying that because... They, plug, they they sponsor the podcast, but no, seriously. Well, they sponsor me too, so we're both compromised. Fuck yeah, but it's it's but <laughs> well, we're being they, they genuine. Sponsor, they sponsor semi permanent a bit, and uh, yeah, they're amazing. It's, I, it's I, awesome. I just finally reached out to them just to kind of basically just say thank you for making a great piece of software. <laughs> yeah. It's but, great. Yeah, I owe them a lot. Yeah, same here, and it's like a software where I'm not really a software guy at all. I don't. I've only just go in there and I use it and then I get out of there. And every once in a while I'll ask like a genius, like say Michael Wrigley or somebody, somebody like that, who just is, just knows that program through and through. I'll be like, Hey, how do you do that? And he explains it to me. I go, well, fucking hey, I know enough to handle the next six months of stuff that I probably need to do. And, and I come back to it, but it's incredibly user-friendly. And I think what you're saying is, 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 is exactly that. I mean, Anthony uses uh, Cinema 4D very fluently as well, same as you. Um, but yeah, I, think I heard him speak once about something or, or saw some stuff that he was doing. And I was like, I could really relate to the way he just, I mean, my approach is to cut every possible corner I can. Yes. <laughs> like, do do the, the quickest possible, best possible solution that you can do. And, and that seemed to be his, his approach. Yeah. And I, I think because I always felt quite intimidated by like the professional way of doing things. Yep. That, and I was feeling intimidated by that. And then I was doing things that were turning out okay. And I was like, oh, maybe I don't need to be so intimidated. Maybe this, my way is okay. 
Yeah. And it was working for you. Um, absolutely is because um, some of these renders that you're getting out of, say, Octane, because Octane, when I'm getting into cinema, the, the thing that I have a problem with for cinema for me, and I'm sure everybody else is, it's I don't get live feedback. And I think the cool thing about Octane is it gives you direct feedback visually as to what you're supposed to be seeing or what you're going to see. And yeah, absolutely. Like the render speed is a lot faster. That's a big thing. And there's lots of things I got about the render speed. Maybe it's three times faster or whatever, but the feedback loop is like 10 times faster. And that's the most valuable thing is that design phase when you're trying to create something or light something or whatever that that's happening quickly is just such a paradigm shift from what it used to be before, which was render, wait, then decide, move a light one meter, yeah, that sucks because that's a time waste and that's just like it's very uninspiring whereas i think now it's like wow it's right here because in my pc i have two 980 ti's mm, I, together. I can only imagine how nice that <laughs> i haven't even used it yet because i haven't had a chance to even plug it in and get it all set up and working on it because i just got the windows and that's frightening to me because i'm like oh windows no like why yeah, do I'm you look so ugly no <laughs> uh, you know i think I just have to embrace it with my open heart and open love because that's the only way I'm going to get through this because I'm such a fucking snob with the Mac shit, man. Like, like Mac has made me such an asshole about like how a computer should work and operate. Um, so I'm just kind of worried, but all my PC friends are like, just stop being a bitch, just get in there and make stuff. So <laughs> I'm just going to go in there and make things. And that's all I'm going to care about is just cause the programs are the same. It's just the, mm. the, the UI and the, so what I'm going to do is uh, there's a lot of organizational stuff that goes on, I guess, outside of, uh, the actual working in a program, which I imagine you have to deal with quite a bit as well. Yeah. Like I, they're minimal things, but just they're, they're innate. So they're hard to change. I think what I'm going to do, and this is going to sound pretty fucking silly. I think a lot of people are going to make fun of me, but I think I'm going to keep my Mac Pro, which is like still okay, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's kind of slow. I'm and still shitty. on a 2012 Mac Pro, and I'm not. Oh, really that's kind of like what I have. I think it's something like that. 2012. It's not the trash can, right? Yeah, the last before the trash can. Before the tra- yeah, that's what I have. It's it's slow as fuck though, man. Like <laughs> comparison. Is it really compared? Let me see I mean, about I, this man. No, if the, the the trash cans were that much faster. Mine is no, mine is old. It's a uh, two by two point four gigahertz core quad core Intel Xeon. Okay, yeah, Sorry, it's, it's, it's it's poopy. And then I have thirty two gigs of RAM. But in the PC, I have like one hundred and twenty eight gigs of RAM, like all solid state. And then the two ninety eight ETIs. Um, and then I have the um, Intel fucking like eighteen core or sixteen cores of some bullshit and three gigahertz or some ridiculous Mm. thing so it's going to be a complete savage and that's what i would what i'm going to do is i'm just going to set up both my pc and my mac and i'm going to have a a switch for my monitors and go like okay i'm going to work in the pc boom and i'm going to bridge it over and go back to the mac and bring the files back and forth and kind of work simultaneously between the two until unless it could work if I, yeah, that's funny, right? Cause it could work. It's probably not going to though. So damn it. Um, but I just need to go like pretty much just jump into it. It's just really hard. Cause I've been way too busy. I can't even get off my Mac, let alone transfer like the 15 terabytes of information into the Wait, PC. Are you, are you animating stuff and rendering it? Like- uh, sometimes not all the time. So not for mostly nowadays, not at all. Cause I just don't have time for it. 
Because, yeah, I mean, I like say the, the Martian, right? Like, I imagine you're doing boards and you're kind of laying out an idea or a vision for something, but you're not, you know, you're not animating any of that, right? Nope. That's that's all, it's, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because there's no way the time frame is just ridiculous. And, you know, having such a, like a high level, like Ridley Scott's reviewing this and it yeah, involves Neil yeah. Tyson. So, but yeah, for, for those projects, it's just having the crew and the team and just kind of on calls every day and reviewing and, 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 and but then you do something quite differently when you're working on a, on another project which you, you get more involved in, in in a different way. Right. Like yeah. It's, it, you vary. Yeah. Okay. Got to, cool. you have to, I think it's important, but yeah, I think directing as far as like, even for lost boy, it's just building the team and talking to the DOP and exchanging ideas or building the costumes with the costume designer and building those things out and just having a, f- it's Legos, man. It's just so much fun. So that's please, how I look please. at it. Um, Lost Boy, sorry, I, I haven't followed this aspect. That's becoming like a, a short film. Yeah. Right? We're I'm making it with post panic and Anthony, Anthony and I are directing it together. So it's going to be, um, why have I not seen this? God, sorry. That's keeping, amazing. We're keeping it on the down low. Super hushity hush, quiet stuff. <laughs> I, I don't want to overhype it, but it's going to be oh, it's fucking going to be nuts. So yeah, Post Panic is going to be producing it and Anthony and I are, are directing it and um, going out to Spain in November to film it. Wow. So, and it is so after Sundays, yeah? Yeah, so Sundays they designed that to, to they made that to kind of be a proof of concept, and that's ob- obviously the design of a lot of these things. So if you like, if you're trying to make a film and you come from nothing like I do and Anthony or a lot of the guys at Post Panic are very hardworking people, the same as us. And the way to do it is you design this. Um, same as uh, Leviathan and so on. Yes, yeah, a, few, a few things have come through recently. So many yeah, things, got yeah. Picked up. Exactly. There's so many directors. I think there's a guy who. Um, Who's the Andrew, the guy that did, I think it was Monsters, and then he did Fantastic Four. I can't remember if that's the oh, guy. No. Uh, I completely forget his name. There's quite a few people that have done this, obviously. I think uh, even Rupert Sanders, who I'm working with now, like he, he did some stuff for that as well. So, um, but that's, you know, the proof of concept kind of thing, which is great. Chronicle. Yeah, is Chronicle. That? Yeah, Chronicle, which I had a lot of fun with. And it, the script is really, was a lot of fun too. So, but mm. yeah, so that's kind so of, yeah, you're going to make, Sorry, I don't answer this, but yeah, a short, like a proof of concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's, what, that's it's, the it's a slice okay. of the world and, and it's, it's give people a taste and show them that we're not dipshits and we can make something good. And yeah. Yeah. If we can win the I trust think and a, boom. Any way I could work in film, it, it, like, I don't think I necessarily want to be a director, so to speak, but like the conceptualization of like the ideas that are going to be in a film. I don't think there's even a name for that role necessarily. <laughs> the writer. I, yeah. Creator. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, yeah. I don't know. Just the, the things that happen in a film would be... Um, you should make it. Make your own role. If, if, there's, <laughs> if that rule doesn't exist, then go make it. You know, like, that's the, that's the great thing about this. And I think that's the, what Andrew was saying earlier. It's like the ambiguity of this industry is we don't know what the fuck we're doing most of the time. People are trying to label things, but there's really no real answer. You know, sometimes there is, but it's still very vague. Mm. You know, go make that, whatever role that is, you know. Yeah, I just need to define it a little bit clearly first, and then I'll, and I'll think about it. Yeah, definitely. But that's the goal, though, is to make this thing, and then, um, yeah, go make. It's like make my make our Star Wars, make our Akira, our our, our Ghost in the Shell. Like, you know, like yeah. where is that? You know, like where 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 are those films? And that's what I want to make. So, it's that realization that being sort of self indulgent. You know, if you do it enough times and the things that are the most indulgent seem to go down the best, yeah, you know, you begin to be like, oh, maybe that's 
<laughs> it's not a bad approach. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's just, you know, how, how you, how you go about it and stuff and just what your interests interests are, you know, as you obviously know, the passion is the most important thing. It's what fuels everything. It's what keeps you up late at night and going mm. and, and invoking that passion, keeping curious, staying away from, um, what boredom is. I, you know, it's funny when I hear people say I'm bored or I was bored the other day. I'm like, what the fuck is bored, man? I haven't been bored or heard, even heard of that word. in like, since I was like a little kid, you know, and just constantly keeping yourself going, you know, like nonstop, uh, endless amounts of questions and curiosities and stuff. So, um, I'd love to know how you do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, I don't I know, maybe it's just innate to you, but, um, perhaps, well, that was yeah. a bored kid at, you know, when I was younger, you know, but I think now it's just people like yourself. I mean, you've, you've really lit a fire under me when I saw the semi-permanent, for example, I was just like, that's it. I must learn octane. I have to build something that can handle it. I just, I, I, <laughs> yeah, no, it's inspiring. Though. <laughs> no. And I'm, I'm hoping that someday I'll make something that you're going to be like, fuck yeah, that's sick. You know, let's keep, you know, continue the circle. Cause that's really the goal. You know, I think well, the circle is, has been well and truly established by you. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, um, I'm, yeah, I'm flattered. Uh, uh, yeah, maybe I, maybe I don't email you enough, Ash, but generally everything you put out, I'm blown away by. Oh, thanks, um, man. Well, yeah, cool. something I want something semi-permanent worthy, so we'll see. Yeah, I, I got some stuff in store. I think maybe Lost Boy will, will hit the mark. So I'm going to kill myself yeah. if we don't talk about Halt and Catch Fire because Halt and Catch Fire is yeah, not, cool. a, not only the tile sequence amazing, but the fucking show is outstanding. I have told everybody about the show. I love the show. Um, it's this is another home run. You know, this is this is another one of these jobs that you've managed to work on and develop and conceive with Patrick. That's just outstanding. I'd love to know a little bit. Like I read the uh, the article and art 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 of the title. Um, mm-hmm. It's awesome. I love those as well because they're so involving and they're so yeah, they do a really great job of articulating the process and stuff, which is really interesting. But um, do you watch the show? How did this kind of come about? Because for those of the of, of there listening that has haven't gone through and listened or read the article, can you give us a little bit of a back like backstory and maybe some some of the process and maybe some of the um, kind of uh, as you were making it, the struggles and the, and the successes? Uh, yeah. Um, well, I, I hate to admit, I've been um, very got super involved in the show. I, I think there's something. How dare uh, you? How dare I you, know, sir? No, I'm joking. Everyone it's okay. is. It's a weird thing. But do you find like you, you become, it's very easy to become used to what you're doing. Like that's the fuck thing about being a human is, is you adapt very quickly, which is good when things go badly, but when they go well, you just kind of get used to it, you know? Like, um, and I don't know if I'm explaining that very clearly, but I, I should be absolutely amazed that I was working on that. And I was absolutely amazed, but I, you cool. know, I really should have gone out and watched that show fully through. Um, I just, you know, got preoccupied and a million people told me, like, I think it's really grown into the second season. It's what I'm hearing in that it's got That's better awesome. and better. And it's really built up, which is really good. I, I feel like maybe, um, I guess it was trying to replace Mad Men in a sense that Mad Men was coming to an end and they wanted sort of historically accurate, a lot of attention to detail. Sure. Um, you show from AMC. And I, I think that it, um, good point. Yeah. I haven't watched Mad Men, but I've heard pretty, amazing things about it. Pretty much the same show. Yeah. Really? That, that, huh. that was its thing. It was just being yeah. attention to detail and like, and yeah, but well, I mean, amongst others, but, uh, I've heard, I, I don't know how well Madman did when in its first season, I feel like maybe that was a slow grower or at least it was over in Australia because things, you know, 
miles away. It takes a long time to come by boat. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's already grew, you know, like people picked it up third or fourth season. And I think maybe hopefully that's what happens with um, Holt and Catch Fire. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. If people don't know or watch it, you should check it out. I watched, I actually got introduced to the show because of what you guys had done. And I was just like, fuck, this is so great. Um, it just, it was a brilliant little piece, a little nugget, a visual delight. It's not overdone. It's not too long. It's just right amount of time. The music's perfect. The edit is cutting right to it perfectly. You have a perfect synergy between the editing sound and the visuals. Um, yeah, it's just awesome. Sorry, I'm, I keep praising it. I want to keep letting you go on. But I'm really, yeah. I, yeah, I'm really bad with, with prices. I never <laughs> I'm the same it's way, hard. too. I have, it's, <laughs> it's uncomfortable. So I, 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 knowing that, and I do it to people all the time, I apologize ahead of time. I just I can't help the people that we have on this show. It's, they're people that I admire. And I really, you know, the engaging conversations and the interviews you guys get and hear out of this is because we're both in, in, engaged in the excitement of one another's creation, you know, so. Um, I can't help it, but yeah, let's, I mean, if you want, if you're curious or you're listening and you want to hear more about it, but definitely check out the art of the title cause it's very thorough and it's really well, uh, built together. But, um, maybe, Will's really great. You, I imagine you've spoken to Will a few times. Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I imagine he would have done cause you did interviews and stuff, uh, with art of the title. Yeah. N- never have. No, I never have. Really? Well, oh. cause I don't know if I've ever done anything that's. I guess. I thought, that's right. I thought um, your FITC things. Ago. No, that's probably motionographer. I'm sorry. Yeah, as motionographer. Yeah, not yeah. art of the title yet, but they do a really great job with their interviews and articulating things. So, but um, I mean, we like him. I'm sure you guys will cross paths very soon. Awesome. Definitely. Yeah. We, I mean, I don't know, like maybe some of the process as far as, um, as you guys were designing it, the experience and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, it was great. Again, this is, you know, like a Patrick Clare special. Um, he had some pretty strong ideas on this, um, so I can't talk too much on his behalf. But, like, he, like he took some really – I think what he got very happy because we're dealing – it's amazing dealing with television companies that are, like, really intelligent, great people that make things better. You know, they don't – it's very different to working with an agency that just sort of makes you redo things for no particular reason other than their own role justification or whatever. Like, it was just amazing working with them. Um, and I think they were very beneficial to the process. And I think, um, Pat had some great ideas as we went through, like he really wanted to push this horrible, intense pink color, um, just burn the retina way out of color safe, all those kind of things. Yeah. And I was really happy he went for that and that we continued along that line. Um, so I think it really helped sell that as a unique little bit of graphic. Um, the textures are outstanding and your guys ability to push like the chromatic shift and stuff. How are you going about with that? Or do you, do you, when you make these things, are you, do you have like a, a library of textures that you just kind of kit bash and smash together and kind of build upon just kind of layer things? Is that how you go about creating these? Like when you're doing um, style frames even, or when you get into post? Well, a lot of the frames were put together by a guy called Eddie Herringson mm-hmm. him and Pat put a, like a lot of the more graphical frames. Awesome. Um, and, and they had lots of that really nice kind of photocopied kind of slightly older style textures going on in them. Um, I mean, yeah, we always rely on, on a bunch of, uh, there's a, a bunch of textures I've seemed to have used in every job <laughs> I've ever worked on. <laughs> do you take pictures and scan things or do you have like a, a source that you've gone to? Cause I have a big mix of things of things that people have given to me or things that I've been able to gather or shoot or take pictures or scan myself. 
I was going to ask you if you had like three gig of like After Effects files of doodads, like little technical HUD stuff. Yeah. Like, the, did you just at the beginning of your career sit down and draw them all? I always create every time I make something for a job. I always recreate everything. So I, I don't, I don't <laughs> believe in like taking those and kit bashing them. I, I think that's like cheating and I find more, I like, I discover more from doing that, but I use, sometimes I use the same textures across the board. There's like, you know, those golden textures that you use and it's like, ah, that's it, you know, and then you can move yeah. on, you know, do you have that, that same kind of thing for your process? There are a few things to go back to. This one was a little bit different, I think, because it was quite digital. So sort of the true detective textures aren't really going to work here. Um, but I mean, a lot of it, I think we tried to, I don't know, I'm thinking of the shots that I was quite heavily involved in, which was quite digital. And a lot of that was, um, I remember particularly, Pat had these great references of photos that had been, I don't know if done with paint or how they were made, but broken down into sort of slightly organic squares. Mm-hmm. But the squares weren't just sort of broken down indiscriminately. You know, the eye would have a lot more little squares, this sort of... Um, so cool. Design-directed broken down images. And he had some great ones, but... It was sort of trying to do that and I was like trying to figure out algorithms and ways to actually change a picture of a face into something that is all made up of squares. But there isn't there just isn't a way to I'm sure someone maybe in Houdini or something can figure out how to do it. But <laughs> yeah. um so we just I just ended up in Photoshop like drawing a, a market with a marquee tool a square and hitting like um it's like a medium blur which just changes it to one colour based on what's there. So breaking up the image bit by bit into these square images, then that would get projected back onto like a lower. I sort of developed a bit from stuff that we'd done on True Detective, hmm. um, where you like would projections take a, and stuff. Yeah, the same kind of deal, like a low res mesh that you would project the shot back onto, and then you'd rip that up and you'd bring that into After Effects, and awesome. sometimes you'd rip it up in After Effects and put it back into Cinema, and then go back and forth a few times because it feels uh, very um, um, hand like made and, and non-digital but it's depicting digitalism but it's yeah that's the beauty of what you guys are creating there i i, I find um daniel actually told me one day when i was working in my early years at prologue i was making vector graphics and he was like you should take the vector graphic and print it then rescan it yeah. so that, that's the way to get the the to d kind of uh like make it more human He's yeah. a genius, that guy. So yeah, yeah. I'm not surprised. He says, I was like, oh, yeah, for sure. And then I've tried it. And so now I'm too lazy to print and scan and I don't want to waste paper. So I just have all my own <laughs> techniques with blurs and noise and grain and distortions and well, stuff. That, that's yeah. something I get really into. I get like really funny about like sharp type. Like mm-hmm. I'm so used to kind of, I hate things when they feel very clean. So I get very like take the, the layout and blur it, then sharpen it, then add noise, then blur the noise, then sharpen that. Like that <laughs> yeah. kind of, like, yeah, I'm constantly uh, trying to degrade stuff. Yeah, because, same. Well, I guess match them, like pull them in together into the same space. To that kid um, that's watching Alien as a as a kid, yeah, you know. Well, it's very much the yeah, it's very much from that world. I mean, not quite as bad as the VHS in the eighties, but you know, like <laughs> yeah. the way that I, I love the way when you watch old titles and the type, you look at the edge of the type. It's 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 got certain qualities to it, soft, you know, yeah. and the way the noise runs through it, and a whole bunch of things. Um, and it's you know, it's been a long time, kind of slowly trying to figure out how to recreate that. It feels kind of fake in a way, but I just can't bring myself to have hard, nice, clean, sharp edges on stuff. Sure, um, I'm the it same. It feels it needs to be weathered. 
yeah sort of somehow like massaged in together or lived in the space because you use a lot of depths and and blurs and stuff like that too depth of focus blurs and stuff like that on your textures where it's how you have isolated areas of focus and non-focus and stuff huh yeah um yeah, I like that idea of suggesting detail and depth of field is a good way to do that um, in that you, you can have a little bit in sharpness and then the rest sort of suggests that it has detail even if you can't necessarily see it. It was yeah. the same with like the lighting on um, on semi-permanent. You know, like if, if you just get a rim of light around, uh, you know, a planet and as long as the shadows and the um, bits are on that edge are, are suggesting detail, you kind of get a sense of detail across the whole image as an approach to theme is the suggestion of detail without showing it. Yeah, I think that's important. You let the the viewer fill in the blanks, and I think from that you get a lot of interesting, um, you get a lot of interesting dialogue between yourself and the actual viewer. Um, and I, you know, I bring it up again: alien words, you know, hidden in the dark, and the monster becomes even mm. more crazy and, and psychologically much better. The thing I, yeah. I sorry, go sorry, ahead. You go. go ahead. Oh, I was just, I, um, I may be saying something about this similarly on another podcast I listened to of yours. I can't, can't remember, but it made me think about um, how good uh, the old graphics for computer games were. Oh, yeah. Not the actual, not what was in the game necessarily, but like the cover art. Like I remember like the original Doom, the, um, oh, the so artwork good. for that, like so the guy good. standing on demons with guns and stuff. It was, and that game itself is just fucking amazing it shook the world man the first person shooter like the first pro like decently prolific one you know yeah yeah i but studied how that fun film, was it? this yeah. the suggestion of the like the artwork suggested all these sort of ideas and it was so much more fun because you were kind of like projecting your own imaginations of this sort of rather low bit imagery that you're looking at you were kind of projecting your own imagination what that was about Sort of games now, obviously, very far more towards realism, and obviously that's great, and I enjoy that. But I kind of part of me misses that part where you would, you know, the, the cover of the book or the cover of the film was sort of the best thing, almost. And you sort of knew that that wasn't going to be what was in the film or the game. Yep. Um, you but you would kind of project, imagine it, yeah. and you would rely on your imagination to kind of like fantasize about that world. Yeah, and project it through and stuff. Yeah. One thing I was going to say that I really enjoy about. Um, the halt and catch fire frames to bring it back or just the concept too is they don't really show the actor's faces really it's more or less their silhouette and i found that to be really interesting as far as um a lot of times um i've heard horror stories about actors and their director and their producers and all that stuff like my actor's face has to be x large and ratio to others <laughs> and all that bullshit and i just thought that was um that's it showed the innocence and the integrity of the uh of the of the show itself by having something so punk rock like that you know like you get silhouettes and you get kind of a glimpse of it um and i, well, I, I just, guess the people making these shows are you know they're, they're really intelligent people <laughs> like and they're yeah. very successful and they're very and it, you know I, I you know i come things with cynicism sometimes but you like it's been so, so refreshing when you come to these things and they're like so ahead of the game and so great and so like imaginative and you know, I mean, I don't think there was any issue with the. Um, I think, if anything, they were probably saying distort the faces more, or, you know, less less of the face. I don't know. I mean, that that's all Pat deals with that side of things, but that was the sense I got was that they were, um, you know, progressive in in that way. 
Yeah, it's really cool. It's a really um, mature style of approach for these things too. Yeah, mm. and just, just all over, you know, that's another one of your projects where I was like, fuck, I want to be a part of that. And so I was like, well, I can't, so I'm just going to do FITC. <laughs> yeah, that blew me away. Though. Uh, like, that was absolutely, like, <laughs> it humbled me. That's <laughs> awesome. That's a lot of work. We we did a, a lot of work on that, so I appreciate that. I know everybody a part of that team, really, we all admire what you and Patrick and the rest of your team put together. So, and obviously, and I, and I love openly stating where I get my inspiration from too. And so it was really cool. I think you had reached out after that or having read something in the, the interview we did with motion, uh, motionographer too. So that was awesome. But yeah, tons of fun, tons of fun. That's really it was, cool. it was great fun making that. I remember Pat had this great description for like, we're trying to describe what the streaking needed to be like. Yeah. And like, he gets so passionate about the way he describes things. And it's great. Like it, it's sort of like a, um, a spaceship coming through reentry and like things are kind of like just, I almost need my hands to describe this, but like the, 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 they're streaking sort of, they're pushing slowly in the pressure and then suddenly they streak out and they get flung away, you know, like, but he, we used to get very in depth about kind of the exact description of what the streaking is, what, how that's happening. But it, it was very important in terms of the um, direction oh, yeah. on how, how those things broke apart. Yes, of course. And I think that if you're listening, these are the important ingredients that go behind the intentional decision-making and nerding out about the streaking or the chromatic shift or the softness of font and the text and stuff. These are your decisions made consciously based on your own opinions and and decisions based on your subjective view and opinion of what you're creating. But I think it's really important to take note of that because that's what defines what you're creating, your style, um, all these things, you know, so... Um, I don't know. I think it's awesome. We should, I, I definitely uh, don't want to hold you any longer, but I have a couple more questions if you wouldn't mind. No, no, as long as you want. Awesome. Well, I, there's a couple of these things. So that some of them I like to, I've been asking um, all our guests kind of, it's more based on time and um, just goals in life and stuff. And so, um, and just, I'm curious to see the spectrum of responses to these questions, but um, where do you, where, where are your, your main goals in life and where do you think you're going to be in, let's say a year? And then, um, do you project and could you project and where would you be in five years? <laughs> um, if you'd asked me five years ago, I think I would have got it terribly wrong. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's great. Uh, I don't know. I think, look, I think I'll be in LA and I think I'll be working there, um, doing some things and, and trying to figure out what the next step is, um, in a year, like where, where I need to take it. Like for me, I guess the thing is I'm always trying to figure out how I can make something sustainable, like how I can do something, get excited by it and keep that working for that. I'm not going to kind of want to move on, um, indefinitely. So I think, I, I don't know. I'm just getting at that point. Like, Oh, I'm also thinking, oh, do I want to have kids? Do I, you know, want to open a sandwich shop? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not giving a very clear answer. I, I don't know is the answer. That's pretty good. Though. I mean, a lot of times I think people that even when I ask that, they will say the same thing. And um, it's kind of a hard thing to be asked on the spot, especially on this format. But I think it's interesting because you get, you, this is a time capsule and it's going to live forever on the internet. I'm not yeah, trying to make you more terrifying. anxious because <laughs> I know your, your anxiety about this. So and I'm not trying to make you more, but, um, five years from now, let's say you have an odd moment and reflection and you come back to this and 
what you were to listen to. And it just, it's interesting. I often find uh, I'm actually, every time I do an episode, I'm actually somewhat terrified of what I'm actually doing and what I'm putting out there. And I kind of get worried that I'm putting too much shit out there or I'm not putting the right stuff out there. But, um, at the same time, it's just being proactive. And at the end of the day, you just have to be proactive, I think. But, um, well, you're fine because you know, you've done a hundred or more. Well, how many interviews have you done now? <laughs> yeah. Shit, well, I don't know. Where is it at, Andrew? I think we're like, I think this, this is, is episode be 123. 123. Yeah. So it's a lot of episodes. I, you know, it was actually interesting. Andrew was like, we've been doing this for a couple of years now. I'm like, couple of years. What the fuck? Where has time gone? The podcast is always like something that just kind of slips into the schedule every week. And it's just, I barely have enough time to do it. If it wasn't for Andrew helping build this, this wouldn't even exist because Andrew is actually the person that makes this happen because he gets me to, like, okay, you got to have a call with this person this time. He schedules it all. So he's good. Huge like thanks Andrew. to Andrew. Yeah. Huge <laughs> thanks to Andrew. You know, I always try to give him props every time and we're out in the public or talking about the podcast. You guys should be really proud because I mean, there's, there's motionographer and, and there's the collective podcast. And I mean, I'm sure there's a few other bits and pieces, but they're the two that jump out to me is actually kind of, making it feel like we belong to a, a collegiate kind of world. Like that's I had no sense of that before. And, you know, that's, that's connected awesome to me to a whole bunch of things. And that's, yeah, makes it, makes it tangible for me. That's epic. Yeah. That's exactly what it's designed to. And we get so much love and we're just so thankful to have, um, the love from people. And yeah, we really, 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 we really appreciate but you got my that. Love. <laughs> oh, definitely. And that's awesome. And you're here and you're, you're part of it, you know, so, which is awesome. One other thing I was going to ask is, um, for future creators, people that are coming up or people even at the same position or, um, further or whatever, do you have any kind of advice, something that you can leave them with as far as, um, something that you've learned along the way that's helped you is hindsight or, you know, like you're a very humble person. So that's like a really interesting trait about you, especially the accomplishments you've, you've managed, you managed to acquire. Um, is there something that you can give to say like a student of this or somebody that's trying to aspire to create something, um, like I am like semi-permanent or something, you know, like this big massive project. Um, I had a feeling you might ask me something like that and I thought about an answer and I didn't come up with anything. But let me just sort of talk randomly for a moment. Do it. Like Spit it out. Like, It'll come out. Advice um, for a future generation. I don't know. Look, I, I guess what you do when you get an asked question like that is you think, well, I'm being asked this, so, so well, how did I get to where I am? But you know, a lot of that can be chance and, and happenstance and it doesn't relate to everybody necessarily. But I guess the things for me is certain things I've learned in myself, which maybe could apply to others, but I, I, I kind of took it easy. Like, I mean, I went straight from high school to uni and I, I, you know, I really wanted to be in design, I guess, but I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't super ambitious for a while. So I just took it easily for a while. And then I kind of, I got somewhere eventually when I needed to get there, you know, like when I was like, okay, actually I'm bored and I need to do something that's going to interest me and excite me for a while. And that's what made me move into motion design away from more standard graphic design. Um, and I kind of feel maybe if I'd just try to rush into things early or try to achieve everything instantly, it wouldn't have worked out as well. Um, so allowing myself some time to get to where I wanted to be at a certain age sort of seemed to work for me. And then when I had that passion, applying myself, but not, you know, not forcing it basically. And then I also found the things that have done the best for me that have really helped me in my career is when I've like focused on things that I liked, like making stuff for myself, actually being indulgent. Um, there seem to be things that have resonated with other people 
more than when I'm trying to make something I think someone else wants to see. That's the best shit right there. Make it for yourself. That's like, I always say it's, that. It's, it's, it's hackney and everyone's, yeah, yeah. It's a I trope, think it's important I mean, though. No, it's, I was probably cynical about that earlier on, but then I just, by only by experience, I'm like, well, okay, maybe it's right. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Because you're getting the genuine, like the genuine source, you know, I think that's, that's a very important thing to, to release well, in the world. There's humans out there and there's a lot of us. It's there's tons, enough, way too much. That, that, that some of them will respond to kind of honesty and honesty is always a bit better. You know, it's a little more, it's got more power to it. So they'll, they'll respond to that. Yeah. So you'll, it's a better way to go, I guess. I think so too. Yeah. Honesty and purity and following with your intentions and just following your passions. Cause that's, I, I respond personally to the projects that I can just tell there, there's a lot of passion. And, and I think with you and Patrick and the things that you've created, um, I can just tell you have a lot of passion. You look into these things, whether you think so or not. I, I don't know. That's what I'm viewing. That's how I'm perceiving it, but, or I'm, 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 I'm experiencing it, but you're putting in a lot of attention to the things that I find to be interesting. You know, like we talk about soft fonts and how to blur fonts and, you know, the, the fringe of those things and the obsessive, the obsessive nature of such weird oddities, you know? So it's uh, funny. I think there's a bit of duality sometimes. Like I think on one angle, you're kind of like put on this pretense of being sort of humdrum about things, you know, but then you'll find yourself talking for an hour and a half about how the font, you know, should be done. Like <laughs> you, you kind of, you don't occupy an, I, well for us, me, me, I don't necessarily occupy an, an absolute space of, like I sort of pretend to be kind of nonchalant about things, but I, I guess I am quite like pernickety about stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be. And then I yeah. think that's part of your, just your design is how you're building things. You know, I think you have to care, you know, like you were saying, you're passionate about these things, whether they're the, the, the minutia of things or all the way to the final, you know, and you also do production. So, you know, the, the main pathways and all these different treat tricks and things and how to keep things afloat, you know, through the process of making things. So, yeah, mm. I think it's, I mean, it's awesome. Where can, how can people, how can your fans get a hold of you? I know that you're, you're not on Twitter, which is probably a design, a smart design. You keep yourself away from that, I imagine. <laughs> and you, you don't have a Facebook either, right? Or do you? I have a Facebook, and sure. but I just freaked out because I have like you know just a personal Facebook, and, and it's usually just pictures of like how life, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then people started adding me on that, and I kind of knew a few of them through Design World, so I said, "Oh yeah, cool." And then lots of other people did, and then I'm like, "Oh, actually, this is a bit weird." Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know, like, is this private or is this public or what? You know, not and anymore. So I sort of just I just haven't answered all these questions from people. I don't know, but um. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I should set up something that's separate. That's like a design thing. And well, maybe we'll follow that. But then it's a I distraction. So I, I can never really post work, you know, like until it's very much finished, you know. Um, so I don't know if that's. Any, but yes, uh, they can email me or they can follow me on Cargo. I guess that's the main things. Um, if I figure out a Facebook thing, I, I might do that. Twitter and Vimeo, good, Vimeo though, yeah. of course, as well. Yeah, Vimeo is really good too. So, Vimeo is a good platform. But at the end of the day, there's so many time distractions. So you sort of design it. Somebody was asking me, like, or saying, get him on Twitter, and like, he's probably just smarter than the rest of us, and he doesn't want the distractions. So I'm not giving, I'm not going to promote that shit because if that gets in the way of him creating work, then I don't want to be the part of that. So <laughs> you, you use Twitter a bit, right? 
Uh, yeah, well, it's a design for the podcast and awareness yeah. of other things too, especially the school. Now we're trying to make sure we access the right people and get the right people on board as far as our students, because we want to make the best thing for everybody. So it's just more or less awareness. Um, that's kind of the design of it. And it's actually a great platform. You, I use Instagram a lot more too. Maybe Instagram would be something fun for you because it's a visual based thing. Um, well, and- so I came across some, um, um, Jake Sargent's work which yeah. was super useful. I mean, I think I'd seen his work in other areas. It was probably why I was following him, but I was freaking out about how to finish semi-permanent. And then they had all his, um, Iceland shots. I'm like, this is the guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jake's photos of Iceland are fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Jake's a great guy too. I was going to ask you how you guys got linked up. So that's great. Yeah. I just thought, fuck it. You know, semi-permanent designers know this. I may as well just try to, cause I'm quite, you know, a little bit, um, uh, isolated, a little shy, I guess. Mm, uh, I, don't usually, I don't usually reach out, reach out and email people all the time, but I was like, why not? I could try this. This is a new thing. This is novel. I'll email him, see if he wants to give me a few photos. It's awesome. Um, yeah, it was lovely to be able to work with those photos. You never know what comes across. I mean, uh, Anthony, our, our best friends, basically, we're creating so many amazing things. Uh, he's a friend, my friendship with him has been outstanding. It's just, he's an amazing person. I learned so much from him, but that just came from an email. He just emailed me out of the blue and sent uh. me some love. And I was like, well, your work is amazing. Your work's amazing. Oh yeah. And then it just ended, you know, like we're just building stuff together. So you never know. I think it's a very important thing to reach out to your peers and send them some love or just send thank yous or anything. That's why when I have people on this podcast, a lot of times it's designed by, like I said, I love to have you on and people that I admire, but a lot of our listeners are very much a big fans of your work as well. And that's why I asked, like, there's a way for them to access you, but, um, yeah, emails, that's, Totally yeah, that's fine. I generally I read my emails. There you know, go. And I generally reply. It takes about like a week. <laughs> oh, that's not bad. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. usually what I do. I, I I isolate. I have my wife actually screen all the emails because there's just too much. And then at on Friday I have like an email dump, and mm-hmm. then I and I go through them like like a beast, like email beast uh, for an hour, and I get as many as I can done. So that's the format I do, so I can focus on other things. So like I said, I have a really crazy system. So. But let's yeah. you're making it work <laughs> somehow. But man, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Not only for coming on the show, but for really um, personally inspiring me to create better work, um, inspiring me to show me like what you're like, you're showing me the level that I need to reach. And I really appreciate that. And so for me personally, I just want to say thanks. I know Andrew's really stoked too. He's really quiet this whole time making notes. Yeah. So and he's usually pretty quiet during these things. I, think he's too- I like it pops in. It's yeah. like the, yeah, <laughs> makes you value my input more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a sage man that just you know drops in with one line here or there. <laughs> <laughs> I force him to ask questions sometimes, like ask questions, man. So, yeah, yeah, I gotta come out of my shell. <laughs> but no, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it, and um, yeah, we're all looking forward to seeing what you do next. And I'd love to collaborate with you at some point down the road if you're ever interested. It'd be a lot of fun. So. Maybe we'll do something fun for VR or something, you know, down the road. Mm, quite, quite possibly. Yeah. Uh, I'm flattered. Thank you so much. And that does it for this week's episode. Big thank yous to Raul for coming on the show and sharing his time with us this week. You can find links to Raul's work and all of the show notes for this week's episode at thecollectivepodcast.com slash 123, along with links to our Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes podcast page. Have an amazing day, everyone. Be powerful. Be prolific. Peace out.